0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to whoa, another...
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hello? Whoa, Wait. hey, whoa, I'm What's here. What's going on? Excuse oh, me? Sean, thank God. what are yeah. you doing here? I I, no, mean, no, no. I made it. No, 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 this is no. This is my time. What? No, my flight was canceled. I was supposed to go to Chicago. My flight was canceled. I'm here. I'm, I'm here to host. God damn it.
0: No, get out of here. Go back to wherever you came
1: from. No, you whoa. go back to wherever you came from and listen to me introduce the show like this. You're listening to episode 169 of the Comics Files. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
2: That's how it's done. I've got to apologize. When I found out that Marco was going to be hosting the show, I was like, oh, please, please bring Sean back. And I feel like I fucked up your flight. Jinxed it. See? You may have. I might have. I put that out there in the universe. I'm
0: sorry. It was
1: it's not right, man.
0: Damn, sound is my time to shine.
1: Not today. Not today, <laughs> dude. You're going to have to pray <laughs> on my downfall. Uh, so there's there's, uh, there's a, a, a bad weather issue, unfortunately, preventing me from leaving this godforsaken city. But it means I get to be here with you guys, <laughs> which I am very happy for because I feel like there's a lot to talk about. This has been a big week, actually, for us, for the Comics Pals. And, uh... So, yeah, there's a lot to get into. Uh, first, as always, want to let you guys know where you can find us on the internet. We are The Comics Pals. You can get us on all podcast hosting platforms pretty much at TheComicsPals at gmail.com. If we're not there, Mr. Marco Adamoto over here uh, is the one to call. <laughs> you can get us on social media at The Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, hello, Uh, make sure that you guys leave us a like, comment, share this video with your friends, subscribe to our channel, hit the notification bell since you're made aware when we drop new content. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you to do. So uh, we...
0: Uh, sorry Sean yeah. but uh, you, you didn't finish the plugs uh you know something I wouldn't have done you know if, if if I were hosting the show but you can also catch us on on discord as well oh, wow. uh, see this we is we why you suck
1: Marco uh <laughs> because the way you did it right is not interesting I was going to talk about the discord separately from the other plugs so that wow. it's more interesting and compelling and I can actually talk about why the discord is worth joining instead of just say hey we're on YouTube right So sit down yet again. (laughs) As I was saying, get dunked. We just posted an interview that Phil and I did with uh, Al Ewing. That was very awesome. He was very gracious with his time. He answered questions. He answered fan questions from you guys that came from the Discord. Uh, we we made we posted the Discord last week. A lot of you joined, and we've been having really great conversation. I feel like very active. Uh, Marco, you can speak to that too. Pete, you too. Uh, it's just been popping, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's been awesome. I mean, uh i I definitely was excited to get the discord going, but I couldn't have imagined that it would have been uh quite as active as it has been and um it's been really great being able to get in there and talk to you know uh plenty of you who've written into the show in the past uh but also a bunch of new people and um yeah it's uh it's definitely gonna be. I think a great place to come hang out, especially like if you're a regular listener, or you know if this is your first time joining and you want to get more involved and connect with us as well as other people who are interested in the same stuff that you are. It's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, everything under the sun, video games, comics. Give me those A recommendations, yo. Got a wrestling channel. Yep.
1: Yeah, we got all it kinds all. of stuff, man. Yeah. So, like I was saying, uh, we did get some questions from you guys for al Ewing. he was gracious enough to answer those talked about immortal hulk and you know how successful that's been um and yeah just it, it was a really really good interview i think there's a lot to learn if you're a fan of comics beyond just reading them if you like the behind the scenes stuff he had some stuff to say about that and how his failures as a writer for marvel sort of uh influenced his process going into immortal hulk and why those things may have actually helped the book succeed beyond just it being really good. And I thought that was fascinating, because we talk about cancellations and stuff all the time, and here's a guy who's been canceled on almost every book he's had from Marvel. <laughs> and he had some really, really solid advice and tips and stuff for how to not get canceled when you're at that level, uh, which can trickle down for sure, so I really appreciated that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, something I always, always respect when I'm interviewing a, a creator, especially of a successful one, um, you know, like Al's on the come up right now, is uh, when they're not afraid to talk about their failures, you know, because I think a lot of people, and I, and I know uh, we have a lot of aspiring writers in the, uh, you know, in the audience and everything. A lot of people, I think, look at someone's success and they don't think about how many no's they got before the yes, you know? And and I think most creators have a story like that, you know? Um, There aren't a lot of people who just fall ass backwards into a career, you know? Right. Um, and uh, I think there's something wrong with that, you know? Like, failure is a part of the process. And, you know, I think the... I, I, honestly, it's a personal motto of mine that like the first step towards doing something is like failing at it, you know, again and again and again until you succeed. You know,
1: that's certainly true. And uh, like I said, he he talked a lot about that. So go check that interview out. It's been doing Respect. really well for us. A lot of you guys have already heard it. Um, go check it out if you haven't. You'll you'll enjoy it, I think. Um, and yeah, join the Discord. Join the Discord. We've got a link to it in the description for this. Uh, you can find the link pretty much anywhere, so go join. Come say hello. You can ask us questions. You can, you know, put questions together for the show, talk to fellow fans, yada, yada, yada. Go listen to the Discord, or go join the Discord. Um, so, I have a question for you guys. It's not a random one, though. It's actually a pretty specific one. Interesting. <laughs> The 2010s just closed out and I have a very simple question. What do you think or do you know what the best-selling comic book of the 2010s was? Ooh. Hmm. I don't know.
2: I like I feel like that's such a tough thing to gauge because I and I, I know you guys touched on this last week on that episode that I missed. Um in regard to some of Rob Liefeld's comments But I feel like a lot of the best selling books
1: Are probably old Well we're talking or about we just talking a about single, single issue
2: oh, some, oh, oh, okay. oh Okay Huh. Okay. The top hmm. Hmm. <sighs> Damn So are we talking about the number one Of any issue or like series
1: The best selling Single <laughs> issue doesn't that need to be I, number I, one.
2: That's so hard <laughs> 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 Um Oh ah can you give Can you give us a clue by answering a, one question I have?
1: It depends on the question.
2: Okay. Was it an event?
1: No. That's a good question. Okay. Oh, okay.
2: Because I would I was thinking it would either be an issue of a, re- of a really popular series or a like standout event issue of some kind that went over.
0: <sighs> um, mm, no. It's.
1: It's a very soon. special issue.
2: Do you have any idea, Marco? Like, uh, I, no I, I'm i afraid to throw something out. Like, I'm, I don't I'm,
0: know. I'm going to throw out the, the wedding issue for Batman because I got a lot of press.
1: Oh, no. Man. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, Marco, because that's wrong, but it's not that wrong because that was the 12th best selling issue of the 2010s. Wow.
2: Okay. Oh. That's pretty good. Like what was like a big fucking moment that would have gotten major press like that and gotten?
0: I bet it was. I bet it was a book that just like was consistent, not even like a standout. Maybe. What about what about like Action One no. Thousand?
1: Oh, that's a good one. No, although that's also not too far off. That was the fifth best. Oh,
0: okay. getting getting closer.
1: Yep, I'll give Detective you. Detective Comics One Thousand. No, but Damn. that was number two. Oh, oh,
2: oh right shit. There. Damn, okay. Uh, well, you said you give us one more. Bring more home. Pee. Oh, we both get one more. Bring yeah. home.
1: Oh, if you want it. If
2: I, could, I don't know if I can one up that one. Shit.
0: Um. Well, something on that scale. Something on that scale.
2: Help me. Help me. What do you think? Like. Ah, shit.
0: What else is on that scale? Oh, a Superman book, maybe? That's what I was thinking,
2: but I
1: feel like action would be that
2: book. So if it's oh, not oh, that. Fair,
1: fair. Think outside the box
2: okay outside the box so it's n- probably not a dc book because we guessed all of those
1: <laughs> oh you walking think, dead you could, i was gonna say do you think it no, could be walking
2: dead not at Did all it, no what? okay
1: <laughs> not even close damn it uh, uh, i was
2: wondering if it was like walking dead like 100 or something that or? was
1: 16 that was wow. the 16th best okay all right so that's it i'm gonna right, just spoil right. it uh it was Star Wars number one.
2: Oh, oh damn!
1: Yeah. Fuck that.
2: Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That should have been obvious.
1: Star Wars number one was the best-selling comic of the 2010s. Uh, this is based on total unit sales. Okay. Okay. So Fuck. yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. So for number three, we had Amazing Spider-Man number one.
0: Damn, that was gonna be. I was gonna be one of the ones I was gonna shoot out there.
1: Uh, number four was Secret Wars. Number one, mm. five, okay. as we said, Action Comics. Uh, six, bravest warrior, bravest warriors tales, Hollow John from okay. Boom. That's yeah. number six. That's amazing. That's wild. I don't even know what that is.
2: It's a it's a YouTube show. Really? It's, they yeah they have a um, I forget the name of the channel, but it's like a few like bravest warriors. I think B and Puppy Cat. There's like a few. Like, uh, web shows that are, like, made by, like, you know, um, pretty popular animators that have, like, a big following there. And obviously, like, Boom does, like, all of those. Like, they do Adventure Time and Steven right, Universe right. and a bunch of that stuff. So that's crazy that that's number six. Yeah. There. Yeah. Like, I would I would almost expect, like, an Adventure Time or or some other show that I feel like has more resonance. But I guess that speaks to how big that audience is.
0: Wait, round out that top ten.
1: Yes, yes. Uh so for seven we have Orphan Black. Oh by really? IDW. Yeah.
2: Wow. Huh. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Uh number eight was Dark Knight three Master Race number one. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh nine was Amazing Spider Man eight hundred. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty that's a milestone. It's a big fucking deal. <laughs> And uh, the the last of the top ten was Star Wars Vader Down number oh. one. That was oh. that was awesome too. Excellent. By the way, excellent! Yeah, I love that. That was
0: great. Yo, I had that whole arc and floppies. Ugh, oh, the whole yeah. that no, the whole run in arc and floppies. I
1: think Vader Down was was very very good. Um, so yeah, a good a good a good list of books. I feel like you have um books that you wouldn't expect right mm-hmm. um, but you also have books that are not marvel or dc and and then just just not even image right like yep boom had a, a a spot you know just right out the top five that's so cool that's
2: what i'm saying man like boom is like they're on the come up every year i feel like they're just getting a little bigger a little bigger and like they've gotten some of those partnerships that are like key man like hitting those kids and mm-hmm. getting the youth market. box yeah man yep. yeah the boombox stuff has been hitting
1: yeah, they, they also had the eleventh spot too with Big Trouble Little China. Oh so. cool.
2: Damn. Yeah. There you go, man. Very nice. Yeah, and like then they've got like their legacy series like Lumberjanes and shit too. It's like they're 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 playing their cards right, man.
1: Yeah. Um and for anyone who cares, number one hundred was Star Wars Poe Dammer at number one. Just thought I would throw that out there. Nice. Yeah. That's
2: number one hundred on the list?
1: Yeah. Cool.
2: Huh. All right, so cool. Let's go through so World
1: ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> so so. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So uh we'll we'll have to check this space to see what takes the number one spot in uh, twenty thirty or for the twenty twenties in twenty thirty, <laughs> we'll take a look. 10 years.
2: What uh, episode will that be, Sean? <laughs>
1: episode I don't effing know. Um, 4,000. Just real quick, real quick, just because I think this is so interesting. So Star Wars number one was the best-selling book. Star Wars number two was number 59. Wow. Damn. <laughs> what a <interactive>.
2: drop-off.
1: <laughs> that's incredible. That's still pretty good, though. <laughs> that's comics for you, right? Like, Yeah. Like, that would never happen. Where else would that ever happen? You know, where, a, a, let's say, a, a television show. If it was the number one rated show its first week out, it wouldn't be, like, the 10th rated show the second week out. Like, yeah. that probably wouldn't happen.
2: Yeah, or, like, like look at, like, uh, like video games. Like, the trajectory is almost always that the sequel outsells the the previous one and so on and so on and so on, you know? Yeah. Like that's almost like a guarantee if, if the game is like well received the first time. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's it's the total opposite in, in monthly comics. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you gotta love it, I guess. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, let's do some pals pulls. So this week from Marco we've got triage number five.
0: Yup. This is the last issue of Philip CB's book uh and published by dark horse triage it's been really really cool really awesome sci-fi sort of multi-dimensional action story uh and yeah i mean it's just been a lot of fun that book's been getting a lot of good press too so shout outs to cv there and um yeah i mean you know he's a he's a friend of the show great dude and and definitely go pick it up i, I think we we all enjoyed it when we, when we when we had it when we uh looked at the books and had him on so
2: Yeah, I'd definitely like to catch up on that. I I definitely enjoyed it. And um, that interview with Philip Seavey is from the Comics Pals episode 144 addendum. So go check that out.
1: Yeah, we also spoke to him at uh, New York Comic Con. So check that out as well. Uh, I love triage. It's been been really, really good. Yeah. Uh, And then also you chose John Constantine Hellblazer number three.
0: Yeah, boy. So John Constantine uh, is... Uh, a really, really great character. I, I really like him. And this is a relaunch with some creators that I, I especially like, so I really want to catch up on it. It's uh, Cy barrier Aaron Campbell, who we actually did a book clubs on uh, his book Infidel. Oh, yeah. And um, the color is Jordi Belair. So just super, super strong team all around. And I personally love the character. So, I, I just I feel like I need to catch up on these books and uh, tackle it. Awesome. It's interesting because it's technically part of the Sandman universe. Yeah. Which I thought was weird. Uh,
2: cause, Did it not like, feel like that?
0: Well, just because he's not technically from the Sandman universe. So, it's just weird that they would group him into that. Because his first appearance was in Swamp Thing. Like, uh, a, a proper DC book and then turn Vertigo. So, it's just weird that they threw him into Sandman overall.
1: Would it be some shit, right? If like Marco were to go on Jeopardy, and the last question, right, just to win everything, you know, that final Jeopardy or whatever, was was something to the effect of what was the first appearance of John Constantine, and then everyone else is like, uh, Spider Man number fifteen, uh, nah, X Men number twenty five, and Marco's like. Nah. The Saga of the Swamp Thing number
0: 37. Well Literally technically not. actually technically his his likeness <laughs> technically his likeness is based off of David Bowie and you actually see a character who walks around uh in issue number 32 I believe. And so people like like to do like trick questions like that or whatever but his first official like name drop is in number 37.
1: What a beast. <laughs>
2: Marco would probably lose because he'd give the right answer, and they'd be expecting the, <laughs> the half-assed one. Yeah,
1: right, right. Uh, actually, I'll, we can't accept that.
2: Pro tip: If you're ever on Jeopardy and they ask you who the, where the first appearance of a character is, and you don't know, just say their name number one. Like that's you know that's probably the best guess.
1: It's funny how wrong that is. Actually, yeah. almost In always, most so, right? Comics. Yeah, that's that would be incorrect. <laughs>
2: Wolverine number one? No, not <laughs> no. even close. Not even close. <laughs> Deadpool. <laughs>
1: yeah, that Deadpool would be tough. That's like New Mutants ninety seven, eight. I think it's ninety eight. Eight could be wrong. Um, but yeah. So for me, I chose uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Uh, this is Al Ewing. He is he is going to be taking over Cosmic in our interview with him. He talked about how Marvel Cosmic is now his domain. Nice. And so this is the first foray into that. Well, Empire Number Zero or whatever that is, and like some of the some of the stuff that's been coming out. But then this is like his first ongoing uh, in that that vein. Empire Number Zero is not out yet, but there was the uh, preview? what's it called? Uh, no, it was um can't think of it right now but um they just did like oh the annihilation stuff he had a he had a one shot somewhere there something like that Mm. um so yeah so he's taking over there marvel cosmic i actually have not read a guardians book in since bendis i was so turned Mm. off by what he did there that i was like i'm not buying guardians anymore so i haven't picked it up in a while i skipped donny cates i skipped uh jerry duggan but al's immortal hulk is so good that i'm gonna jump back on with this and uh give it a whirl so hopefully it's hopefully it's it's worth uh the investment
0: yeah i, I think i think based off his track record it uh, high high hopes
1: yeah and the arts by juan cabal uh that's not an artist that i'm familiar with so oh,
0: he sounds familiar to me did he do the cover
1: uh yeah he did the, that looked pretty good yeah so yeah, the cover looks pretty cool. Um and and you know, if you listen to our interview with Al, he does talk about what this run is gonna be about. So if you're curious uh as to that, go check out that interview. Because uh it sounds really cool. I also chose Far Sector number three. So there's the black label book, actually. It's by NK Jemisil and Jamal Campbell. Uh Jemisil is a Book writer, a you know, like a more traditional novelist. science fiction novelist, and her books are uh, very, very highly praised. I haven't had the chance to read one yet, but uh, far sector looked appealing because it's a it's a black woman who's a Green Lantern on the outer rim, and they kind of just sent her away or whatever to this planet where or this sector or whatever where the people there don't feel emotion they don't have emotions huh which is really interesting as a framework for a green lantern comic right where the the emotional spectrum is what the lantern stories are about and these characters just don't have emotions they actually went through a process to shut emotions down uh and so she's there It's kind of like a dead-end gig for her because there's no crime. There's no, like, violent crime or anything like that because they don't feel
2: anything. Has she been sent there on purpose for that reason? Is it, like, a punishment or something?
1: That's not addressed, but it's easy to guess. And we're starting to see some really interesting things happen along, you know, within that vein because uh, not everything is as it seems. And I won't spoil anything. But the art is so good it's so so good and the writing is really strong as well i hope that Jemison has a future in comics beyond far sector because she's super talented she really uh has created a really interesting character with this green lantern and i can't wait to see what else they pull off here
2: has the book been received well
1: oh yeah yeah
2: hopefully that means that uh yeah that she's got more she feels like doing afterwards
1: yeah i mean they gave her the reins they let her create a character they let her create a world you know this is all her idea from start to finish so um oh, cool
2: and if it's like resonating with people and selling pretty well i'm sure that they'll want to keep working with her and if she had a first positive experience hopefully she's interested in keeping it uh keeping it rolling because exactly. i feel like that's the thing that is gonna chase you off, right? Like if you're like, oh, I'll try writing a comic, and it like you knock it out of the park the first time. It's like, yeah, all right, fuck it, I'll do another one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Why
1: not? Right? <laughs> and it does happen, and we see it with you know these a lot of times these book writers. Uh, it goes both ways. Sometimes they come in, and you know it'll be like a uh, like a Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? And, yeah. You right. Know, he had no history of of, of comics comes in and begs it out with black panther and you can see he's got captain america now and he's doing really well for himself other times you know you have certain writers who come in and it's like uh, you know they never really get their bearings yeah
2: or or they have a negative experience with you know like uh like a fan base or something that like rejects their work and fucking attacks them and they're like this is not what i signed up for you know
1: uh yeah yeah you're speaking about, or th- that reminds me of uh, uh, Chelsea Kane. Right, yeah, exactly. Perfect example. <laughs> I, I I don't foresee Chelsea Kane doing more comics. Well,
2: why the fuck would you? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not like like, <laughs> if that was like the thing you wanted to do your whole life or something like that, maybe. But if you were just like, oh, like, this seems like a fun thing to try out, and then people fucking attack the shit out of you like multiple times it's like fuck it like I'll go do whatever else you know yeah
1: well yeah she had the bad experience with Mockingbird right where the the comic skate douchebags came for her with that one but then she went over to Image and she did uh, oh
0: Oh, god the cats
1: Uh, she did man eaters and the other side came after her so there's like nowhere left to turn yeah it's just like all right. yeah I'm I'm, I'm gonna head out Yeah. You do go, something else. Go write a yeah, book. Uh, right. Book. Exactly. Yeah. so
2: Or TV or something. Like, you know. <laughs> Please.
1: <laughs> Where people like, have no connection to you at all.
2: Well, but even so, like even if they do, like you're probably getting paid a lot fucking more too you know, for people to barely like know who you are. Yeah. If like, you're,
1: you're going to yell at me, I need that F you money, right? Like, yeah,
2: yeah, right. Exactly. If you're gonna fucking like send me death threats, I might as well be rich.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's jump into the news here, and we're gonna start with the Morbius trailer that dropped this week. Uh this I like is... how you
2: I like how you laughed as you said it. <laughs>
1: you, you know why I did that? I did it because the conversation around this trailer is so reminiscent of the conversation around Venom. Yeah. And Venom was so successful and your mileage may vary, but a lot of people feel like it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Oh
2: my God. All right. I'm sorry about that. Listeners. Uh, Sean is was just so sickened by the trash that is this Morbius trailer that now he he, he had to run to a totally different
3: location. Whoa. whoa.
2: And uh, and, and why are you putting words in my mouth? Spread garlic all over the place and uh, you know. He's got to defend himself
1: no that that's just that that's not only not only is the idea of me spreading garlic not funny, but you said that I hated the Morbius trailer? No, I said I said it was so bad you had to run away from it, but the, it bad is subjective, so that would mean that I personally didn't like it
0: Sean, tell me why uh so why didn't you
1: like the trailer? Uh what about it? What about it didn't didn't work for you? That would require me to have not liked the trailer. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I my internet crapped out. I had to move to another location. Thankfully I have the luxury of doing that. Uh so we're talking about the Morbius trailer. It's interesting, right? Because the internet hated the Venom trailer. It was met with like vicious reaction. Um, and the idea of the Venom movie, right? But then the movie comes out and it's like, hey, it made a ton of money Mm -hmm. and it did pretty well and people liked it. So then you look at this Morbius trailer and it's like, wow, this looks like the same thing. And, you know, in terms of quality, like it looks like it definitely looks like a movie from 2006, just like Venom did. (laughs) Uh... I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I don't give a damn about Morbius, but this trailer wasn't bad. Like, it doesn't make me think the movie's gonna suck.
0: Yeah, I, I had a similar reaction. I, I saw it and I was kind of like, okay, I, I, I uh, for me, like, I don't see why we need a Morbius trailer knowing who that character is. Um, and well, like to whatever extent, but uh, the trailer didn't make it look terrible like it 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 did feel like a very much like a venomy vibe um but when i saw it and i saw sort of the flack on, on on the internet for it i was kind of just like i mean like some people are making some good points but i mean otherwise it was just like a generic kind of trailer like there wasn't anything that stood out to me necessarily but there wasn't anything necessary that was like awful about it in my opinion um yeah i mean for if venom is a track record for anything probably go see this and probably come out enjoying it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm mostly just down on it for the meme because mm-hmm. I just don't want any of these movies to exist. You know, I've been very clear about that since they announced their entire slate of like Spider-Man spin off character movies. Um, like Sean said, it's just, I, this is not a character I ever felt like I needed a movie for. And, i i wonder if it'll hit the same way that venom did because like people give a shit about venom mm. you know like venom's cool like venom might be a, a minor supporting character and you know uh my, i i know i i said at the time like how do you have a venom movie without spider-man right but like they found a way to to pull out the things that people connect with about venom like the look and feel of the character and like you know it had like a good slapsticky kind of tone and it was like edgy and didn't take itself too seriously and I think like it found like for me it, it, it hit because it was like a goofy like kind of like B movie ass like superhero movie but it was fun you know and like is this gonna hit that same way like this seems like it's like a little bit more serious a little bit more dramatic and it's a character that i don't feel like has the same um cultural cachet as venom you know like who gives a fuck about morbius you know like really
0: felicia
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know uh like could it be good i guess maybe but i just am not interested in it and uh and like I hate Jared Leto. I,
0: so, so Jared Leto did not look good in my opinion in in the movie. Like, and I mean that in terms of like like the way that maybe like the character was designed and, and how he's being portrayed. Uh, I I didn't find that very appealing. He looks super goofy for what the environment supposed to be. He he straight up looks like a vampire and is like, oh, yup, yup, that's the guy, that's him. But he is. I I mean he is, but it's also like it's a little too on the nose you know, I, I i it would would have made a little more sense if they upon the transformation he looked like that and that's his like normal human visage or something but to just straight up be like yo i'm a guy who i'm, I'm a vamp and i just walk around all day <laughs> i'm a vamp
1: you know well, we see him with we see him using his powers without looking like that most of the trailer
0: No, 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 but I know, but what I'm saying is, like, it would make sense if he then, like, changed his costume to it. Because it looks like he's wearing a costume as he's, like, teaching a lecture or something.
1: Hmm. I'm not sure what you mean.
0: Like, it's like Professor Oak walking around with his lab coat and, like, you know, goggles and stuff out and about while he's in the grocery store versus just wearing his khakis and a nice green shirt.
1: Uh, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because we don't know the context of these yeah, sequences. Yeah, yeah. Of these moments. There's, there's a million reasons why he could be wearing this or that. Um, But, like, look, ultimately, will Morbius do as well as Venom? That's an insane notion, right? Like, no, I don't think anyone expects, not even the people making the movie expect that to happen. Yeah. Because of everything that Pete laid down. But I don't think that that's what it has to be. I don't think it has to be a Venom-level success to be a success. Will it be a success? Mm, That's a different question. And I think that this trailer is actually doing something extremely intelligent that has nothing to do with Morbius at all. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) I've always got one, right? Uh, So the trailer at the end shows us Michael Keaton's vulture. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. Now, obviously, Michael Keaton's vulture is not going to feature in this movie. He is not going to be, you know, a major player in this movie. No, definitely not. So that means that this, that that moment, most likely, if you had to guess, you would do, I think the average person would say that that sequence takes place at the end of the movie. As like the after credit scene, or or you know, just something to set it off. Now, how could Morbius and 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 Vulture interact when Vulture is from the MCU and Morbius is not, right? Wrong. That question, right there, is exactly what they're banking on. Wait a because minute. They can, You're saying he's ahead. Vulture, not Birdman. Oh, Christ. <laughs> that was played out two years ago. Oh, damn, was it? <laughs> Marco thought he was all clever.
0: Yeah, I'm two years late on a meme.
1: Yeah. I thought, at least if you're going inter- to interrupt me, interrupt, interrupt me for a good joke. Uh, <laughs> so, Sony has wanted to tell people that the that there's a connection between the MCU and the Sonyverse forever. Forever. They've been they've been trying to get that connection solidified forever. And they haven't been able to do that because there hasn't been the connective tissue. And whenever like they would do an interview, and Amy Pascal, who is was an executive producer at Sony and a big wig behind the scenes with Spider-Man, she would do an interview and she would say, like, oh yeah, you know, they're they're connected, they're in the same, you know. Uh, uh vein, but maybe they're a little bit detached, maybe they're across the street from each other type thing, and there was that meme where Kevin Feige just looked really <laughs> just bummed disturbed. out. Yeah. yeah, that she was saying this, and you know, now with Morbius, we see why. We see why she was saying that. And Marvel clearly is allowing, or doesn't have a choice, in their ability to control this. So, if people believe that this movie takes place in the MCU, which seeing Michael Keaton will do that, people will go see this movie.
2: Yeah. Well, and also there was that little bit where, uh, where Morbius is walking down that hallway or whatever. Or he's like in an alley. Yeah. And there's the Spider-Man graffiti and it says murderer on it.
1: Yep. You know? That, those two tidbits place this movie firmly within the MCU. Yeah. just do. And. That has a lot of potential payoff for Sony. Mm-hmm.
0: Yo, what if, what if Morbius and Blade cross?
1: It's funny you say that. Morbius was originally supposed to appear in Blade. <gasps> oh, the Blade movie.
0: Yo, holy oh. shit! This was a genius move. So this was an entire movie just so they can establish full-on canon, so that we. Disney could technically use Morbius as a villain to then bring back Blade. Boom, done. This was a long game. This was this was Disney reading Sony, reading Disney, reading Sony. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: I don't, I don't
1: want Jared Leto in the MCU. Uh, he's a major actor. It is what it is. Um, so there is also a rumor that. Jared Harris, who who plays Morbius's uh, mentor in the movie, he's the guy who's like, you know, what's what's the, how far are you willing to go to get your, to, you know, to cure yourself or you know the remedy or whatever. There's a rumor that he is actually playing Doc Ock. Oh. What? Yep. Okay. So, he was actually rumored to play Dr. Octopus in the Amazing Spider Man films. And if you recall, in Amazing Spider Man 2, there was actually a scene where they showed like a bunch of villains' gear and the octopus arms were there. That made no sense at all, (laughs) but they were there. And a lot of there was a lot of rumors and innuendo that Jared Harris was going to play more uh morbius uh doc ock in that movie amazing spider-man 3 so yeah there's the rumor mill is is flowing we don't know the name of the character he's playing uh it's it's being kept under wraps so that so that's a little weird um yeah ultimately man like all right you know I, i i've said i've been on record pete's been on record this is weird. It's weird that they're making a Morbius movie, and it just doesn't feel right. But if it's gonna happen, I want it to be good. So, I let's don't. do it.
2: I want it to be bad so that they can bury this whole fucking project. <laughs> and it's just like, Venom, Venom succeeding has made it so that will never happen. So now I just have to sit here and watch this happen to me. <sighs> <laughs>
1: We are Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like fucking Scorpion. <laughs> so I have one one last, since we're talking about Morbius, and hopefully we don't have to talk about this again for a while. I have one last little uh, tidbit for you guys. Way back, uh, about, I want to say like two or three years ago, we knew... Through the I believe it was through the Sony hacks that they wanted to make a Mysterio movie and a Craven movie. You guys recall that? Yes. Yep. Okay. So the villain from Far From Home was Mysterio. Yep. And I'm pretty confident when I say that the villain for Spider Man 3. Will be Craven they're filming I believe they're fil- they're filming in New York and then two other locations. one of them I believe I want to say was Iceland, um, but whatever it was, I can't recall it's a place that could be construed for like Craven's you know stomping grounds sure and that for me, in conjunction with the fact that Spider-Man is now an outlaw. Because of the he murdered Mysterio, he needs to be hunted now. Uh, plus, what we know about what Sony wanted to do by making a Craven movie, I feel like that's the path forward. And then you have your Sinister Six.
3: Hmm.
0: So he wouldn't be the villain for Morbius trying to defeat the giant living bat thing.
1: No, of course not.
2: Wait. So who would who would be the six then? Though we'd have Vulture, Morbius. So have oh, Doc Ock. You're Vulture, saying. As well?
1: Morbius, Doc Ock, uh, uh, Craven S- Scorpion.
2: Oh right! Oh yeah! I forgot about Scorpion. And uh, then Shocker, right? And Shocker, yes. Yeah. Okay. Shit! Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah.
1: <sighs> Which God. was so has been Sony's goal since <laughs> 2007. Six or seven, they've been talking about making a Sinister Six movie. I mean, they were talking about doing that with the original Spider Man trilogy. That's what I. Yeah, 2006, you know? Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, 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 okay. I was thinking that was when Amazing came out.
1: Oh, God, that's 2012.
2: Damn. Oh my God, we're so old. Seen so many <laughs> Spider Man come and go. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah. How'd you guys okay. feel about that?
2: Uh,
0: uh I don't care i so
2: (laughs) i am pro what you're putting down for spider-man 3 i think that totally makes sense um the whole craven wrinkle of it and i would much rather have them make that movie than have like a craven solo movie that sounds terrible (laughs) um but uh and I I, I like Craven a lot, and I feel like him in an MCU setting where he's, like, hunting Spider-Man post-Spider-Man 2, that sounds great. Like, that's a, a side of Spider-Man that we've never seen in the MCU. And, um, you know, I think that's, like, what a lot of people have been kind of missing is yeah. Spider-Man as Spider-Man. And when he's, like, you know, on the run and, you know, not an Avenger, not, you know, uh, Tony Stark's Apprentice or whatever. So... I'm totally down for that. That sounds great, and I I think you're probably right. And I hadn't thought about that until you threw that out there. And that is, man, that's a good theory. I hope it. I hope it comes together that way. Um, Me too. And then uh, as far as the whole Sinister Six setup, I I guess yeah. Like I I I think, I I think I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think it's clear that that's what Sony is trying to gear up towards. And, you know, we talked a lot about it in the last time that we talked about the Sony-Disney uh, deal around Spider-Man, where I think it's clear that Disney wants to keep using these characters, and I think that if they can get to a point where they have more control over them, like, they'll be happy to to take the fact that Venom and, and Morbius are these weird kind of hangers-on you know that they had to put up with to get to a Spider-Man movie that has a Sinister Six that makes them a shit ton of money, and they get to sell all these action figures and all this other crap. You know, and you know um, they could also easily recast those people if if they want to. Like they can distance themselves from those movies in the same way that they distance themselves from the Incredible Hulk, which is technically in universe. Of the MCU and start Edward Norton, but you never think about it or talk about it, you know? Um, And I think they could easily do that, where those movies serve as setup as much as you want them to maybe. But if there's anything about them that they don't like, they can retcon their way around them as much as they need to in the future. Just not address them. Yeah, right? Like audiences are aware of Venom and Morbius. Cool. Like we can use them now.
1: You know. So uh moving on from Morbius, but on to another movie trailer, we've got the second trailer for Black Widow. Now, I you know, we talked about Black Widow. We we weren't really enthused about the first trailer that they showed. It looked kinda of generic and you know, it looked run of the mill, but I I I wanted to talk about it this, this time around, just because I actually thought that this trailer added some wrinkles that made this movie look slightly more appealing what do you guys think
0: yeah yo captain russia um, who's up with that guy <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: he was, in the, I, yeah, he was, was in, he? in the first trailer yeah he was in the first trailer
0: no but he didn't have a shield
1: oh dude you're talking you, wait are you talking about taskmaster yeah that's Who's? Oh, totally that that
0: who's wait who are you guys talking about
1: who, you're asking me who's taskmaster
0: no, I'm. T- yeah, the guy with the shield, Captain Russia.
1: No,
2: Captain Russia is the guy from. It's uh, what's his name from Stranger Things.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's actually his name. No, no, but oh. that's that's who, that's who you're referencing
2: when no, you say I'm that. No, I'm referencing the guy Red with Guardian. the shield. The guy with the shield is not.
0: That's Taskmaster. Is he not yeah, Russian? Taskmaster. No, no. no I don't fucking
1: know. where are you getting it's Russian from?
0: Uh, he, he. They, I'm assuming they're in Russia because they're all Russian, and whatnot, and so he had a shield. They are, but that doesn't but, mean he had a Russian. shield. Captain America has a shield, and therefore you're in Russia, Captain Russia.
1: Dude, you like stitched that together in such a weird way. Because <laughs> the other guy,
0: because David, uh, David Harbor, Harbour. he's he, he's something else. That I know. That I know he wasn't Captain Russia because he doesn't have a shield.
1: Okay, but even if he had a shield, okay, so, like, if a character, right, has yeah. a shield, they're not automatically Captain X, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but he looked like it. He David, didn't look like Captain X. He looked like Task. I mean, he didn't even look like Taskmaster. He just looks like a, a person. Like they look like a person. I'm going to throw that out there. They yeah. look like a person. Good point.
0: I don't know, man. He had a shield. Captain America has a shield. Put two and two together.
2: It's well, you're you're wrong. You put two to you. What you just did, Marco, was you put two and two together and got one.
1: <laughs> Possible. Possible. <laughs> okay, so uh, Wonder Woman, right, is Captain what then? Captain, Captain Wonder, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> Wonder Woman is an American hero.
2: Fair. And she's Captain America. There you go.
1: Sweet. DC's version, exactly. They're the
2: same person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean the the biggest thing that this trailer does add is we get to see Taskmaster. Yeah. In more glory, uh, Pete. What did you think about the way Taskmaster looked and acted?
2: I'm a little disappointed by the design. Like I I I want to see more of it because like there's always the chance that you know what we saw was maybe earlier in the movie and maybe like you know uh, their appearance does change or something like that but i really i like taskmaster's design you know um but it's it is very comic booky and i feel like they're kind of going that like kind of like smoothed out tech approach you know to trying to realize it and uh, like i get you can't just maybe have have them in like a face mask or skull mask or something, but I would have liked something that felt a little bit more true to, you know, the classic design. Sure. Um, that being said, taskmaster is really cool and getting to like, think about how that fight is going to play out is something that I'm really interested in because they did show that one little bit where, uh, they mirrored, You know, uh, Black Widow's like jump up, and you know, Marco called out the shield. I'm wondering if they're gonna pull out some Captain America moves, some, you know, some other characters that we're familiar with, and you know, that will kind of like surprise her. Like, I, I, you can see how that will be a fun foil for Black Widow, who is a character that's very like about physical fighting. You know, the fight choreography of a movie with Taskmaster could be really, really cool. Look. Yeah, see, like, Marco's got it on the on the YouTube version. He was just holding it up. Like, I want... Like, that's a loud costume. Like, you know, even if they were going to go, like, full tech instead of, like, the skull face and everything, like, throw a big cloak on him, you know? Like, come on.
1: <laughs> so, I have a theory, but I'll talk about the trailer first. Uh, I think that it looked pretty good. Um, I still feel like... There has to be something special to justify this movie. But Taskmaster looked awesome. I love the shield work. It made me feel as though there's maybe there's some backstory to where Taskmaster has encountered Captain America at some point and has an awareness of the way that Captain America moves and operates and stuff like that, but how would that be possible? Right? How would that be possible? I have yeah, yeah. Okay. an answer. <laughs> so, a, a lot of this theory actually came from a fantastic article at News-O-Rama, um that breaks it all down in possibly better detail than I'm about to, but I'm going to do my best, so George Marston uh talked about this in depth now, I said they for for taskmaster and if you look at this costume right and the the shape of the individual who is in the costume, it is not clear that that's a guy whereas if the person was wearing the original Taskmaster outfit or anything close to that, it would be very obvious that's a guy. So I think that this theory actually explains the the costume as well. Now, Black Widow in the comics comes from the Red Room, just like in the movie. And in the comics, Black Widow actually gets cloned. Yelena Belova is a clone. Oh, And Black Widow in the comics, the current Black Widow, is a clone. Because Black Widow was killed during Secret Empire. So this Black Widow in the comics is a clone of the original Black Widow. The original Black Widow is dead. uh, And so I am saying right now that under the mask of Taskmaster is Black Widow.
2: Damn, what a theory.
0: Ugh, I'm I'm annoyed by that.
2: That also ties into your last theory that yeah. this isn't a prequel.
1: Yeah, that 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 this isn't a prequel. Or, or if it
2: is, but like it's
1: setting her it, up to come back. If it is, it's exactly. It's either not a prequel or it's a setup for her to come back. I I believe that most of this movie is a prequel, but. There's something happening here that I believe is not, is either not taking place in the past or is going to show us how we will continue on with Black Widow. Because I believe that Taskmaster, under that costume, is Scarlett Johansson, and that at the end of the movie is going to be her somehow getting her memory back or turning to the forces of good. She's going to live in the shadows as a Black Widow, Right. And wh- while, while the main line, Black Widow, goes on to die in Avengers Endgame, and this Black Widow will emerge and take over the mantle in the MCU, but it's the same actress.
2: Yo, I, I think it would be way cooler if they don't do that. Like, if they don't bring her back. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Like, no, no, so, 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 like, how sick would it be if you're right that under the mask it is scarjo but like she stays taskmaster
0: oh and um, she becomes a villain that'd be interesting
2: yeah like that would be cool like imagine like you know like in the hawkeye show right like hawkeye's got to fight taskmaster at some point and then like pulls the mask off and it's fucking you know like it's 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 cat like that would be crazy
0: so they they also mentioned something in the trailer, black widows. Uh, I was I was curious about that because I I don't have enough familiarity. Uh, but they mentioned like it's plural, so I'm I'm I'm
1: confused about that. So, Yelena Belova, who is the sister of Scarlett Johansson's uh, uh character, is a black widow as well, because they came from the Red Room, and that's the designation. So the implication is that the Red Room is active, which furthers the theory that Taskmaster is, if not actually just Natasha Romanoff, the clone, is at the very least an agent from the Red Room. I
2: don't know.
1: I kind of like the clone theory. I, I, I can't see it any other way. At this point, it makes so much sense to me that I'm just there now, but
0: mm, yeah, nah, it's too comic booky. Let people die. This is
2: co- their comic book movies. Also, we did let someone sorry, die. Sorry, they're
0: superhero movies, not comic book movies.
2: Okay, come on, let's be real.
0: Yeah, superhero movies. Com- yeah, oh, super let people heroes die. Let's
1: you know, let let Iron like Iron Man. Right, uh, right. Like Cap, the leading
2: the leading uh, characters, the two main characters of the entire yeah. franchise are both let dead. Let them
0: die
1: they did they're dead <laughs> are they if she's gonna be brought back is she dead okay i said iron man right and captain america my thing is if if they
2: don't give her her memories back i'm chill with it like even if she if even if she face turns eventually and becomes the new black widow like if she's a different character that's fine
1: well, she would certainly have to be not the same as the Black Widow that we have ever seen, because if she's a clone, that would have taken place before she became an Avenger, theoretically, right? So that means she doesn't know about the Avengers. She doesn't. It'd be like Gamora. Like what right, happened with yeah, Gamora.
2: That's my point. If it's like a Gamora situation, I'm chill with that.
1: I actually, yeah, I think that's really cool, and I like the potential. Of that, especially because I don't feel like Scarlett Johansson has a reason to leave the MCU as an actress. Like, and there's there's a lot of
2: emotional stuff you can like squeeze out of that. Like her first interaction with Hawkeye, her first interaction with Hulk, like all Thor, like all these characters who are left who are in mourning of her, and then she's not that person anymore. Like that that has drama. um, That's comic booky in a good way.
1: That could also kind of, in a retcon way, explain why she didn't get more of a farewell in Endgame. Sure, exactly. So, remains to be seen. Probably not going to talk too much about Black Widow until the movie comes out. Uh, just because there's not much more to say. But, uh, yeah, May 1st on Black Widow. Cool. So let's shift gears and talk about a couple of announcements that Marvel has made uh, regarding the future of the X Men and comics. So we got three announcements of new books for the X Men. Uh, the first one is called X Men: Children of the Atom. So this book is kind of it's kind of interesting. So what it is is it's gonna be uh, Leia Williams. Wait, no. It's not going to be Leia Williams. It's going to be Vida Vita Ayala oh. and Bernard Chen working together on this book. And it's... The, the premise is that it's uh, a, a, a character who looks like Cyclops, a character who looks like Archangel, a character who is a woman but looks... wears similar gear and has similar powers to Gambit, and a character who has similar powers and gear to Nightcrawler but is not Nightcrawler. Uh all working together to uh oh and a and a similar character to Jean Grey as, as well. All inspired by the original heroes but not the original heroes. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, it's like those like I forgot what they were called, but the, um, was it chimeras or like the, the, the combination of different kind of, uh, uh powers. And they had like the, the, that one religious nightcrawler looking dude and then that kind of stuff.
1: Dude, that's exactly right. Oh, that sick. is, ex- that's exactly what my theory and the theory online has been oh, sick. about what they are. Yeah. That this actually takes place in the future. And these characters are um, are that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I get that kind of vibe from it
2: too. Um, obviously, like, Adam, like, feels like kind of like a like a nod to, like, a, a futuristic thing. Um, but also, like, uh, some of these designs do feel like they're, like, you know, like, the kid who looks like he's got, like, Cyclops' powers. Like, he's also got, like, a kind of, like, Cable-esque belt, you know? Oh, and, yeah, you're right. right. It feels like very. Oh, it looks like a woman. Actually, you might be right.
1: Oh, I think it is a woman. Good call. Good call. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. Or yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, they at least have some feminine features.
1: It's very possible. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Um. I I I think that's a good, a good theory. And uh, there was like a – there's a pull quote down here that I thought was interesting. It says uh, – this is from the editor, Chris Robinson. It says, the initial seed of the idea uh, – or it said it came from him, which was, what if the X-Men had sidekicks? My take on it became, uh, what would actual kids from our current time be like if they were X-Men sidekicks? What would Gen Z X-Men be like?
1: That was from Vida Ayala,
2: she said. Yes. That. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, like I, I, I definitely feel like that makes sense Where it seems like they're like kids – Maybe who, like, maybe like this is like a a potential future book, you know, like kids who grew up on Krakoa, like looking up to the current X Men or something.
1: But I think what Marco said about them being Chimera is the key. That's the thing. Yes, because uh, like, if like the way that Marco came to that conclusion. You know, speak to this for sure, Marco. I'm sure it's because of the fact that they look like X Men we're familiar with, right. but kind of not. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. that's
2: true. And that's also one of the only significant like threads from House and Powers that hasn't been pulled on at
0: all. True. Yep. Yeah. That's why. That's why I, I sort of thought I'm like, oh, this might be like a something that they're kind of building on and going to maybe explain. Uh, it, it. Yeah.
2: Or maybe it's just from that part of the timeline. That mm-hmm. we are
1: aware of, you know? It, Wait, it would have to be, because it yeah. can't be from now.
2: Right. Cause that I, I I mean, right, that theoretically that future isn't going to take place.
1: Well, whether it is or isn't, uh, there isn't the impetus to start creating Chimera. That hasn't that hasn't come up yet, right? Like in terms of the way that that timeline broke down or what we know about that that program wouldn't have started yet, at least as far as my recollection goes from the timeline.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. To clarify what I meant there was I guess I'm wondering if this takes place in the one of Moira's futures that we're aware of where we know that the Chimera uh, program takes place, or is it potentially a, a future – based on the timeline that we're in right now. Like it wouldn't be current timeline, but it could be alternate or potential future of of our current
1: setup. right. So that that's interesting because like what's the value then of a book based on that if those characters are from an alternate reality that we will not interact with?
0: Well, that's not just... Go ahead. Sorry, but but they did. They were able to time travel, right? Like that. That's not to say that maybe they won't interact some at some point in the
1: future. Time travel is not the same as reality travel, right? So, if it's an alternate reality, they would have to be able to go from mm. one reality to another. If mm-hmm. that was Mora's ninth life, they have to they have to have you know, done that. Right. 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 So, like, the chi- the chimera of uh, Colossus and Magic, for example, her and a few others, I feel like they actually are on their way here because of the way that they all died. Okay. They all, they got, I believe, if I remember correctly, they got sucked into the black hole of um, Zorn's head. So, and maybe I'll- this...
2: Maybe that same thing could happen with these characters in some way.
1: Well, they they they're dead already. At that point, so. Right, right. But I mean, like maybe there's a way that one of these other books.
2: I don't know, though. Yeah, that seems so weird.
1: Yeah, it it really does remain to be seen. And I'm excited. Like when I first saw it, I was like, eh, whatever. But then I thought about it, and you know, I thought about the potentiality. I was like, okay, well, there's some there's some fun stuff that could happen
2: yeah for sure
1: so uh so the next book that we're gonna talk about is x Factor and this one's by Leia Williams and David Maldion and uh it looks pretty cool, so uh this is actually going to be the first book that really gives us more of a look at the five uh the characters who are part of the resurrection process from Mutants that die um they're but they're actually not gonna be the main. Characters of the book, the main characters of the book are I-boy. Uh, <laughs> I love it already.
2: <laughs> number one, number one most hype
1: X-Men book. I-boy, number one. I'm down for that. <laughs> uh, Rachel Grey, Prodigy, Polaris, and Docken. So those are the characters that are going to make up X-Factor and their responsibility or role basically is gonna be uh to make sure that characters who are dead are dead so that when the five resurrected the characters, they're not accidentally creating a duplicate copy. So, for example, uh most recently Domino was killed. Or uh she she, she was missing. She wasn't exactly dead. Uh if domino wasn't dead as she wasn't but the five recreated a new domino right based on their process then there would be two domino walking around and they're trying to avoid that and so x-factor's job is not to like seek vengeance for these deaths but just to make sure that they can confirm that that character is dead so the five can resurrect them I think that this is exactly what we need, because it's a book that, at least on the surface, isn't going to be just about physicality. Yeah. Um, and it allows us to look deeper into the five, which is something that we haven't had yet.
0: Uh, especially with um, fan favorite iBoy, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: that guy looks like that must be a pain. Yeah, he must dude. go through a lot of Visine.
1: <laughs> Visine.
2: <laughs> Think it's his, easy keeping all those eyes moist, Sean? His life is troubled. Can you, imagine, can you imagine his eyesight starts to go and he's like, fucking A, every single one of these damn things has a different prescription.
1: You can't even rock glasses, dude.
2: Dude, no, it to be contacts. <laughs>
1: and anyway, if you look at this image, like, how could you fit glasses on? on him the way his eyes are like just just the regular eyes like just the two he ought to have the way that they're placed like you can't wear glasses like one of them is way off no this
2: dude's getting like 14 individual (laughs) prescription (laughs) for (laughs) contact
1: lenses Uh, I want to read uh, Leah Williams' quote here. She said, uh, we'd already planned on having X-Factor report to the Five for obvious resurrection work reasons, but I emailed Jonathan Hickman and uh, Jordan White. If we cu- I asked and emailed them if we could focus a significantly greater concentration on the Five to not only develop their evolving group dynamic, but also how they come to establish each resurrection protocol. So, uh, yeah, really exciting stuff, I feel.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is dope. Um, this seems like it's going to fill in um, like a, a pretty relevant gap that we've been missing.
1: Yeah. Um, pretty cool cast of characters, too. Definitely very unique and dynamic. And one of the things I love, too, about the cast is that we really haven't spent any time with any of these characters. Yeah, right. And I feel like a lot of the books that have been announced and that are even out right now, there's a lot of overlap. Like, so. When's the last
2: time you read a book that had Daken in it?
1: <laughs> <sighs> no idea me personally man it's been a while so uh but Probably but two, i mean 2006 better, no, no. <laughs> the last time i saw that character he i think it was when he got <laughs> burned to a crisp by thor <laughs> there and, you go. Uh, siege which was in like 2011 or something but um When was the last time you saw iBoy? This is literally literally my first time seeing this this immensely popular character.
2: Yeah. I am not familiar with iBoy's work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you will be. I will will be. be. Yeah. Getting ready to fall in love. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in, man. Cool. And then the last book is actually just kind of a celebration of an old one so uh marvel has announced an extended cut for god loves man kills which is a classic uh chris claremont story from way back in 1982 that introduced the character of william Stryker. um He was like in the comics in the movie, he was just like a military dude in X2, but in the comics, he was a religious zealot who led the charge against the X Men.
0: Yeah, like that arc.
1: Yeah, really awesome. I didn't realize you'd read that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Um, old X Men stuff. Yep,
1: nice man. Yeah, we've never really talked about that. Um, I haven't read that since I was probably like 16. (sighs) Yeah, but they're 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 actually uh adding to it from what I if, if I it, it was the article the way it's kind of explained I thought was a little bit odd um, but uh, yeah so it, it looks like it's going to also have yeah it says a brand new present day X-Men story so they are going to have it's going to be the reprint but it's also going to have an addendum to it that will make it fit within the Dawn of X stuff
2: yeah, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. So We should uh we should read these on the show. Yeah, yeah. Down the road when they do drop, I'm sure we will uh we will read these. So if you wanna if you want us to read them, uh definitely let us know. The God loves man kills extended cut is out in April. So uh not too long to wait on that. And then for the yeah, uh for the other ones. Uh, we don't know when Children of the Atom is dropping, so uh, that sucks, and then for um, shoot, we don't even know when, uh, when X-Factor's dropping. So we so, got nothing for you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we know, <laughs> you'll know. Uh, last week we talked about X Machina, the comic book that I shouted out. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that uh, Brian K. Vaughn book. And we talked about how they're making it a movie called The Great Machine. And now we have a little bit more to talk about on that front. Because Oscar Isaac is actually going to produce and star in The Great Machine movie.
0: Hell yeah.
1: Very cool. Can either one of you tell me why that's so weird?
0: Uh, Is he white in the book? Yes. Okay. Is that why?
1: No. I mean Oscar Isaac's white, right? Oh no. Isn't he like no. Hispanic? No, he's Spanish. He's Hispanic. Yeah. yeah. Um No, I don't know. So Oscar Isaac actually starred in a movie called Ex Machina. Oh, that's, that's funny. Movie, yeah, and that movie is the reason that this movie won't be called Ex Machina.
2: That is actually really funny.
1: Yeah. So huh.
2: that's kind really of funny. Wow. Weird
1: there. Um I love that movie, and I'm sure I'm going to love this movie, too. I cannot wait for this movie. I'm so excited. This is one of the only Brian K. Vaughn books I've never checked out. Yeah, I was really hoping to be able to do a book club about this because I think this is one that uh, we would all enjoy a lot, and there's a lot to talk about. It's a really interesting book. I'd definitely be down for that. It's yeah, one, I mean, th- yeah. this is one of those things where
2: it's like um, kind of a slam dunk. You know, like this is a property I'm already interested in because it's by a writer who I love a lot. And now it's like, oh, cool. It's going to be starred in and produced by an actor who I really like. Cool. I'm in. Yeah. Sounds great. Gives me an excuse to go back and read this, you know, before this drops. And I'm sure I'll be excited going into it.
1: Yeah. So uh, don't really have to talk too much about it. Just thought I would throw that out there. Now the movie has a leading man. Noise. Yeah. Um bit of unfortunate news as we shift gears over to DC Comics. And uh, Damon Lindelof has made a decision regarding Watchmen. And we now know that we will not be getting a season two of HBO's Watchmen. Damon Lindelof has exclusively told USA Today that he will not be returning uh, for a sequel. Um,
0: well you stick yeah. to your guns, bud?
2: yeah, I think this is a good thing um i I actually yeah, I tweeted about this when this news came out like i I think I saw a lot of people expressing a disappointment, and I get that, you know, I think, like Sean always likes to say like if you like something, you know and you want more of it, like that's usually how it works, but I feel like i I definitely fall into the camp where if if there's not a vision for a season two of this then like I'm I'm good with one because the one we got was really good and you know in the same way that Watchmen didn't really need a sequel I don't feel like this really needs a sequel and if they are going to you know go back to this well at some point I'd want it to be because someone has a vision for it not because it was popular and okay let's see what we can do for a season two yeah Keep it rolling yeah you know, we don't need that and i think the show put in the the effort to not be that and i in the same way that it respected its source material i want i'm glad to see it respect itself
1: yeah yeah um a lot of people have talked about you know the irony of the fact that the show is respecting
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> which you know like If you're saying that for the sake of a joke, sure. But if you're serious, that's stupid. Because HBO does not care about Alan Moore at all. And this is Damon Lindenloff's creation. The show is his creation. The show is not... It's not like... And a lot of people talking about this probably haven't even watched it. But the show is not a retelling of Watchmen. It's not, you know, an alternate take on Watchmen. It's a future variant of Watchmen. So the same way that Doomsday Clock is Jeff John's original story that uses characters that weren't created by him. Every character in that book wasn't created by him. Uh that's the same thing with HBO's Watchmen. And so in that regard it is his original story.
0: Yeah. I mean if they want to give me more Lady True, please and thank you, but She's dead. Otherwise, we're good. Well, we could do a prequel. There's no, there's no, there's no reason to not go backwards.
1: <laughs> Before HBO's Watchmen. How About the, that. Hey, hey,
0: there you go. Oh man, <laughs> opportunity right there.
2: There you go. Yeah, I, I, am I'm, I'm happy about this, and I, I'm glad to see that HBO isn't gonna push to go ahead with somebody else. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm bummed, but I'm only bummed because Damon doesn't want to do it. I don't really want to see what someone else has to say, not because there's no one else who can have a good idea, but because I think you can let it rest if it's not going to be him. Unfortunately, I guess he just doesn't want to do it anymore. So I'm bummed, but it's the right move regardless. I did want to make mention of a new Tyler Boss book that's coming out. I know Marco's a big Tyler Boss guy. Yes, and uh, he's got a dark horse title coming out called dead dogs bite. And I really wanted to talk about this with you, Marco, because I was curious. So dead dogs is actually going to be him by himself. It's going to be Tyler boss by himself writing and drawing. So has he ever written anything that you've read before?
0: Uh, not to my knowledge. I, I've, I've only ever seen pretty much exclusively on art. Um, right. so, so yeah, that's, that, that's really cool. Um, I mean, he's, he's a really strong artist. Uh, we had our, our, four kids walk into a bank book club. Um, you know, there he, he was still, uh, he was still growing sort of at black mask. Um, yeah. but in the past couple of years, he's been really refining his stuff, refining his work. And yeah, I mean, this is, this is super exciting. Yeah yeah that cover looks really really nice. It kinda reminds me of like uh Sandman a little bit. It it, it looked like uh, like little bird, like e, uh Ian Bertram's like art with like the, the hair at least. Mm, yeah. Um, and it looks like he's added a little bit more detail to some of the stuff that he does. Uh especially in that in that cover. So I mean oh well actually no, that is Ian Bertram, that's why. That's an oh, easy really? cover, <laughs> yeah. Wow, it says, it says it right there. Credit e- Ian Bertram in the article. I'm like, oh, it looks like like his art. Uh, but yeah, no, no. But it uh, overall, I, I'd be excited to see how he how he writes and what what else he he sort of does. Because um, he's just a really good creator.
1: Yeah. So uh, he had this to say about the book. Dead Dog's Bite is something I've been quietly working on for the past four years, and I can't wait for people to read it. I hope readers find themselves making their own crazy uh, walls to try and solve the mystery before the story is over. I'm not sure why it says walls, but uh, that's the quote. Um, And the solicit says, Dead Dog's Bite follows a woman named Joe from the small town of Pendermills who is searching for his disappeared... What the heck? Follows a woman named Joe from the small town of Pendermills who is searching for his disappeared best friend. I assume that's supposed to say her. Her disappeared best friend, Cormac Guffin. The police don't have any leads and don't seem to be interested in digging deeper, but she is. But what she finds are horrors far deeper than she has ever known. Nice. Cormac
2: Guffin is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: funny, yeah, right? Cormac. <laughs> Mac Guffin.
2: Ah. Oh, ah, yeah. Yeah. Shoot, I didn't. <laughs> I was so distracted by Cormac.
0: <laughs> it, it's cool that it looks like they they're mentioning horrors and, and like a mystery angle to it. So that's that's cool because uh, as much it's as like very in right now. Yeah, and, and as much as Tyler for four kids, you know, was a mystery book. It was also really lighthearted. You know, it it, it tackled with like a, kids. Um, But there were a lot of like visual gags and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to see how he sort of takes that visual narrative aspect that he's really strong in and applies it to a more mystery horror setting.
1: DC, Dan Didio is always, always talking, I feel like. Uh, He's the publisher over at DC and, you know, he's got a lot to say. Uh, And a lot of it is very insightful, actually. And so he was, he talked recently. Um, about two things that I, that I'm really intrigued by. And I wanted to share with you guys as we're thinking about the industry at large. And our main topic today is going to be about Image Comics and, um, you know, what their role is going to be in the 20s and, you know, how, how they see the industry. Um, it's always interesting to hear what the other major publishers have to say. Marvel, they don't talk so much. Dan Didio talks a lot. So he says, that uh, there's a need to take a take a look at the way that DC handles their collected editions because 2018 was not so good uh, to their collected properties. So he said the following on the subject. We had a very poor 2018 with our collections. It forced us to reevaluate what we were collecting and how, so you saw a lot of changes taking place. If you saw the cancellations that occurred after solicitation, that's probably because there was no appreciable interest for these titles, meaning that we couldn't hit the minimum number to justify print. I'd much prefer to just cancel books than to have the valued product out there. We have to find ways to make our collected collected editions valuable so that people want to purchase them and put them on a shelf. We also have to reevaluate these collections of six issues and out when you collect six issues of a periodical, regardless if it is a complete story you're going to see more tweaking going forward, but I feel like we're in a very good place We're finding diminishing returns on the books with numbering on spines. They take the same periodical cadence that comes with our with our regular books. Every subsequent number drops precipitously. The longer those numbers run, the lower and lower those print runs become. Also, I want to make sure we're clear about what's in that book. That's why the title's more important. I'd like to see someone I'd like someone to pick it up for the reading experience rather than straight numbering. We're not canceling books because it's a couple of copies off the number. We're canceling because it's thousands of copies off. If we cannot get two-thirds of that minimum number, then it just does not justify publication. So there's a lot there. I feel like we talked a lot about DC canceling collections, and it was really weird. There was just so much weird stuff going on with DC, and we, we talked a lot about that, and he's here speaking on it now. One of the problems that we know and we've discussed before is like, if you go to a comic book store, right, and you want a, we used the example back then of a Batgirl, if you want a Batgirl trade, which one do you buy, right? The average person is most likely going to buy either one that says, One that has the number one on the spine because it's most likely to be an introductory story. The most recent one because it's the one that they happen to catch that happens that they happen to see if there's like a new graphic novels rack and they just have new ones there. You might grab that. Or one that has a name on it that's appealing. So that leaves out the one with number two on it, the one with number three on it, the one with number four on it, etc., etc., etc. That's a big problem. That's totally a problem. What do you guys think about what he had to say here?
2: I think I think what he's saying is interesting because I, I, the he the call out he makes is that it it mo- it mirrors the model that we see with our with our monthlies and. I think it, it speaks to something that you and I joked about earlier, Sean, which is like the thing about the number ones, you know, or like that's where people show up. It's number ones and then number two falls off. And if they show up for number three, you're lucky. Um, that's a huge problem. And it's not one that I know how to address, you know, and I, we've talked about it so many times about how there are certain comics readers who are week to week, month to month readers and they go and pick up books every week, and that's how they want to consume books, and that's how they want their books to be catered. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people, and probably a lot more people, that are not interested in reading or following like anything like that. And they are more likely to go and pick up a self-contained story, or you know, just whatever is like new, or whatever is something that they feel like is where they can jump in. And... I think that they're smart to be thinking about how to address those markets because I feel like the current status quo is not really serving either market well, you know, and, and, in, in some cases, yes. But I I think, uh, you know, you kind of need to have both. You need to have offerings that speak to both of those people. But I think that those audiences also probably need to be more flexible because, maybe the takeaway is that it doesn't make sense to print monthly comics, you know, the way that we have, or maybe it's that it doesn't make sense to print. I'm not saying that specifically, but what I was going to follow that up with is maybe it doesn't make sense to print collections in the way that we have of like, you know, do we do one every six issues or is, is there more value to waiting until an arc's complete and trying to market those kinds of books or, doing bigger chunks, you know, um, or and that, and that's the thing is like, I think that like they as publishers need to be more flexible, but also we as consumers probably could stand to be more flexible too and try to like meet the stories that we want where they can be sold in a way that makes sense. Cause, um, Sean, I think you've made the point in the past where it's like, there are some stories that work better, like, you know that like that they thrive on the month to month or they thrive on that kind of public uh that publishing schedule and some that really don't you know and some that need that exposure of being a monthly book to catch an audience and some that you know have an easier time like in a different model so i, I don't know like i i think it's it's clear though from what we're talking about now and what we're going to be talking about that where we're at right now is it's in a really weird spot because there are holdovers from the way we've done things traditionally that work for some publishers and some models and really don't work for others, you know? And um, and I think that's like the growing pains that the industry is like finding itself in again in an in a increasingly digital marketplace and they're a relic of a time when that wasn't the case, you know? And like the market is slow to adapt to that. And I think that's the thing that's really tough for comics is that most media is is consumed digitally, but it seems most comic readers don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, and to just uh, something that, that you said, Pete, where maybe collecting the the books differently, I think is probably like a, a more like a really immediate way to, to sort of address that. Um, and what Dan Didio mentioned is like you know being able to curate those books a little bit more judiciously and. Be able to say okay maybe you know maybe after an arc finishes that is the the right move instead of just having like a a model similar to, to image because image has that you know either five or six issues and then boom collect and then five six issues boom collect um and and for these uh publishers dc or marvel where the the runs might last longer or the arcs might last a little bit longer uh maybe it does make more sense to adjust the way that they do collect so that way, they can tell fuller, complete stories. I mean, that helps to bring, uh, to bring people into the fold because you that then you can address it by name, right? It's not, uh, what is it, City of Owls or Night of Owls, Volume One and Two, and and that kind of stuff. It's you no know, like the City of Owls kind of storyline or, um, uh, or Court of Owls. Sorry, yeah, um, and you can you can address it that way, and if you do. Collect those longer volumes. You get those longer runs. You do get more story and less number numbering volumes too. So you kind of can address both in in that one. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I do think it's it's definitely smart to to relook at the graphic novels and to relook at the the monthly books that are being put out because I'm sure there are some like even uh, I have one of Isaac Goodhart's books uh, the with with selena kyle uh, oh yes the the Catwoman book right and and like that's a book that they decided not to put out uh monthly and just collect and maybe that works out better for certain titles than it does others and being able to look at that is something that you know they could adapt to and maybe works out better for them in the long run
1: so i think it's it's interesting because a lot of people say that they are trade waiters and um that's cool the fact that in the collected edition space DC is seeing that books that have numbers on them suffer similarly to you know uh, floppies suggests to me that these trade waiters are dropping off books the same way yeah yeah even if they're waiting longer to get them and that tells me more about the kinds of storytelling the kind of storytelling that readers want than anything else because if you buy the first trade of a book and you don't want the second one is it because you didn't like the story is it because you forgot about it is it because you feel like you got enough out of it there's like a lot of questions associated with that And I think it's interesting that a medium that is so based in uh, highly serialized storytelling has a problem like that, Uh, where the readership is kind of like, oh, you know, we we don't know if we want to pick up the second volume. Like, they're comfortable not knowing the full story. Um, when I first started reading comics, I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man and I was getting the issue sent to me in the mail, but I started in the fifties. So I had all these issues of it that I hadn't read. And I've always been the kind of person who needs the whole story or nothing. So I started collecting the trades that I had missed. And the thing about those trades, if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong. But I feel like they were actually varied lengths. And they were the length of the story being told, not just a hard line at six issues. I yes, think, I think, I think you're, you're right. Yeah, I think yeah.
2: so. Every, that was how I started reading it yeah. first as well.
1: Like, the Venom trade was just the Venom story. the The Carnage trade was just the Carnage story, and that was it. And comics are not like that anymore. trade trade situation is not like that anymore to where you could easily buy a trade and the story that that trade was telling is not complete there's a difference in my mind between like this is the story of Spider-Man and it's just over in in, in one trade like 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 life story for example right Um, and you know this is a piece of Spider-Man's story but this piece of it is complete if you buy this trade Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah, and they used to be that way cuz like I have a ton of 616 trades. I got rid of a bunch of them but when I moved, but um I have a ton of Spider-Man 616 trades from like the early 2000s or 80s or 90s where it's like a specific arc and it's a complete story from start to finish, you know, and you can pick it up as somebody who knows who Spider-Man is and you know enough ab- about like okay, this is Spider-Man and he's married to Mary Jane and he's got an Aunt May and Venom's one of his supervillains. Okay, that's all I need, and I can get a complete story about those characters, you know? Um, And that's how all trades used to be, and I think that is a model that works a lot better because it doesn't fall victim to what we're talking about here. And, like, I know – I don't remember if I talked about it on the show, but on my birthday, I went to this shop in North Philly uh, called Amalgam. And I wanted to grab a trade while I was hanging out there because it's like a cafe, and I was going to grab something and and check it out. They didn't have number ones of any of the books I was trying to check out, and trying to find a self-contained one-off story is so hard these days. So it was like, oh, I can't really find anything that I'm interested in where I can start at the beginning and – nothing else is, like, made for a one-and-done environment like this. And they have, like, a pretty good selection, and I can't necessarily be on them to be like, oh, you need to constantly restock these things when they have random trades to be picked up, you know? Um, And that's a total barrier of entry problem for someone who is just looking to go into a shop for a first time and pick up a book and read it, you know? Like, that you have to worry about, like, calculating, like, oh, I need to start here and, you know this isn't a complete story, it's going to end, and then I'm going to need to get this next one, and then I'm going to need to remember to pick it up every month or every three months or whatever, and it becomes a chore. And I think, to the point that you made, Sean, there are a million reasons why someone will stop following something that they like. You know, I can think of dozens of things that I really enjoy that I never finished or fell off of because it wasn't convenient or essential to keep up with it, you know? And that is the bottom line, you know, like at the end of the day, like there are so many things competing for your time in the 2020 media landscape. You don't owe finishing anything. You don't owe anything multiple volumes or or like a large amount of effort to keep up with if it's not grabbing you. And all it takes is for it to slip out of your mind because you get into something else and if that thing meets you where you're at or does a better job of meeting you where you're at you're going to engage with it instead and that's it you know like that that's the bottom line and that's what comics are up against and you know i, I think it's partly a, a an adaptability thing that like the market needs to find new ways to serve people or make the new ways that they need to be serving people more attractive but i think it is also what we're talking about which is learning something from the history of that they're a way that people want to consume stories and it's not, oh, read one and you better tune in next month to see what happens or read six and then do the same thing in four months. Like that's – nobody wants to read a story that way. That's not true. Well, that's, that's true. Not, not nobody. But I don't think a mass market does.
1: Well, I'm going to table that element of this conversation just because so much of that overlaps with the main topic. And, um, you know, we're going to get into we're going to get into so much because of what Eric Stevenson had to say in a recent, uh, you know, major interview with Newsarama. But Dan Didio didn't stop there. He also talked about Black Label, and he made the promise that DC Black Label will no longer solicit a book if they cannot guarantee that there will be no delays. Good. So he spoke, about, uh, he spoke about Black Label. And he said, it's been extraordinarily successful for us. The response and reaction has been better than we could imagine. Our plan is to make sure we're consistent in the material we're putting out and that it's strong and that it comes out on time. We will not be soliciting anything until we are clear that this material will come out as scheduled. We like the maturity, the sensibility, the quality. The talent is going to be driving this line. We will not overproduce here because we want to make sure this is a long term plan. That has been such a problem with Black Label. Such a such an issue. Like the first Black Label title was Superman. I believe it was Superman uh, Year One. By, yeah, I think so. Uh, Frank Miller, and that started with a delay.
2: And I feel like every one of the original major announcements was delayed.
1: Yeah, uh much, Last Night on Earth, Batman. Last Night on Earth was delayed heavily. We had the the delay for Batman Damned after the nudity issue. <laughs> uh That was extremely delayed. Kelly so, Sue was
2: supposed to do that Wonder Woman book too,
1: right? Uh, Kelly Sue writes. Or was writing, but I oh don't know that that was awkward, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then she was supposed to do a Wonder Woman book for a black label that I don't think ever materialized.
1: Uh, I don't remember one way or the other. I know that there is a black label Wonder Woman book out right now, but it's not by her. Um, so, yeah, they've had, they've had a lot of issues with delays, and um, I'm glad that DC black label is doing well because it's a really great line, but they do need to fix that problem.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's that's always annoying for any kind of consumer uh if if you put out something and there's the expectation and we were just saying you know if somebody has to wait a month until the next book and they are waiting that month and then they find out oh it got delayed x number whatever time like then you have to remember that that even then that oh now it's actually not coming out next month it's coming out in right two three months and that was a huge issue for doomsday clock for us where it actually <laughs> affected the the story and how we perceive the story because we had to wait so long and and all that.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 it's frustrating because I think Black Label is such a good idea, and it speaks to what we were just talking about in the last part of the segment, where like those those books by design are books that are you know one and done kind of things. They're easy jumping on points for somebody who's interested in reading a Batman story, reading a Wonder Woman story, whatever, without having to worry about jumping into something that they don't understand.
1: Yeah, so uh, all of this is going to lead us in nicely to our main topic, which, as I said at the top, is, you know, it's going to be about image and what their role is in 2020, but also a larger conversation about what Eric Stevenson thinks the industry needs to do to survive through the 20s, and you know, we're always gonna add our flavor to it. So, so uh, as I said, we're gonna end the show with this conversation about image and whatnot. Now, Image's publisher is Eric Stevens, and uh, he, you know, he talks a lot about um, Eric Stevenson. My bad talks a lot about the industry. He's very open and comfortable discussing the industry and where it's at and things like that and we do that a lot here on this show. So, whenever he talks I really love to listen and dissect what he has to say and um, with Image in particular, I think different from Marvel and different from DC, they have a very unique place in the industry because Marvel and DC are always going to do what they're going to do yeah a dramatic shift for them feels unlikely, even with all of the the shifting that d c has done you know they started black label and they've gone more into the book market and stuff like that. It's still not like a big change, and it's still not like a monumental thing, and the industry responds to what they do, but only so much. I think a lot more of the industry takes their cues from image. Uh, if you look at, you know, the the indie space that's popped up, that's been thriving for the last 10 years, that's all image, in my opinion, or at least they, they led the charge. So uh, I feel like his word is almost more important, in a way, uh, than what, like, a CB Cebulski has to say, because he's just going to talk about what's going on at Marvel, and that perspective is totally different. So... Uh, Eric Stevenson sat down with uh, Chris Arant from Newsarama, and They did a big conversation and he had a lot of interesting things to say. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into it. We're going to talk about, we're going to react to what he had to say and we're going to apply what he has to say to the larger conversation that we were just having and that we've been having for a while on this podcast about the industry, where it needs to go, what's working and what's not, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So Uh, And and by the way, if you're into this kind of thing, I highly recommend you read the whole interview because there's a lot of things that he says that are really interesting. Uh, A lot of it doesn't necessarily pertain to exactly what we're trying to talk about here. So it's being left out, but still worth, I I think, worth your time to uh, give it a read. So uh, Eric was asked about or he mentioned that image in 2020 and beyond needed to focus on new sales channels, and uh, the interviewer said, uh, new sales channels i can't leave that hanging. What are you thinking of when you say that and Stevenson said, places that aren't currently selling comics or places that aren't selling comics in significant numbers. I know there was a there was some hue and cry over d c s one hundred page giant comics recently i 'm going to stop what he's referring to. Are the Walmart editions that they were, yeah, and there was a lot of complaining about the fact that those were exclusive to Walmart and that that fact hurt, uh, book, brick and mortar comic book shops because they were not being given access. So DC rectified that by printing the content, the new content of those 100 page giants for books, for uh, local comic book shops. Uh, So continuing on, I admire the goal behind that program, which was to get comics into stores that aren't carrying comics and hopefully create some new readers in the process. I think there's a way to do that without excluding the direct market, but I think it has to be done. Uh, the more we expose people to comics outside of comic book stores, the better chance we have of getting them into comic book stores. Is that going to happen 100% of the time? Well, no, it's not. Some people are going to do what I was doing for a while. They're going to go to their bookstore and buy trades or OGMs there. That may not directly benefit comic book stores. The same as kids getting their books directly from Scholastic may not benefit comic book stores. But going back to what we were talking about at the start of this interview... Comics become more commonplace within our culture overall is a good thing. Um, Now, I want us to talk a little bit about that because comic book stores, right, are interesting in that they are like, they're akin to music stores. Stores that sell CDs. And those, by and large, do not exist. Stores that, like, sell DVDs, by and large, don't exist. For the most part, we don't have those kinds of niche stores anymore, in part due to the digital era, era, but also in part due to the fact that if you want to buy a CD, you could go to Best Buy and also buy a DVD and also buy a TV, right? Like, there's just no reason to go to, you know, Sam Goody when you could just go to Best Buy. Um, or
2: Amazon and not go anywhere.
1: Or Amazon, yeah, but I guess I was just keeping it within the vein of, of physical places. If you're gonna go somewhere, yeah.
2: I mean a Target, even right? Like, yeah, yeah, something like that where like you're going there anyway for groceries or some shit.
1: I, yeah, most people would say, okay, if I'm gonna buy this new, you know, Eminem uh, CD, I'm gonna nice. wait until yeah, I'm gonna wait until <laughs> I also need to buy. Some groceries, so I can do it all in one, and I have to leave my house several or times. Or jeans,
2: you know, yeah. like anything. You exactly. know, And there's so many big stores like that. And I mean, even to make maybe uh, a, a more relevant example, like video game stores, right? Like we still have GameStop, but GameStop is like struggling, struggling to survive, and you know, is increasingly obsolete in the market.
1: There's no reason to go to GameStop over Best Buy or you know Target or like Pete mentioned Amazon or Walmart, and those places just let you do more. So like very niche stores like that are falling by the wayside. Even bookstores. fucking stores. Barnes
2: and Noble. Yeah. yeah, that's the only one left, and even they are not in a great place.
1: Yep. So it's it's interesting because the there's a big difference between those and comics in that almost no place that you can physically go to other than a, a comic book store sells floppies.
2: There's also, I think, another wrinkle that um, I don't know that we've ever actually talked about, which is a, a major difference, which is that every comic book store is a small business. You know, there isn't a Barnes & Noble or GameStop equivalent to my knowledge where there's a multi you know like a corporation that's job is to sell comic books because comic books are i'm sorry
0: midtown comics
2: i mean there's only what two locations though no are they all over the world i think there's
0: three 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 and they're all in manhattan and
1: that's like and they have a big business of selling comics uh, uh shipping comics
2: okay i mean what do but but to your point that, P, it's though, like
0: like the size of like multi-state multinational that kind of stuff
2: yeah like so even the biggest example that we can think of is based to one city and doing mail orders like that's not uh, it's just not that kind of industry and i think that makes it an even tougher thing where like Access to these books is contingent on the survival of small businesses in a time that's pretty aggressively anti-small businesses that require physical space. You know? Like, having to have a storefront based around selling a niche product to a niche market is fucking rough.
1: It is rough, but what's interesting is that it is very important to the business of selling comics for the publishers and for Diamond and everybody else, uh, and they have to accommodate them in some instances, possibly to their detriment. So I just thought that was a, a compelling wrinkle, and I would love for us to keep that in our back pocket as we move forward. Uh, yeah. He he's then asked about the price of comics. Uh, it's referenced that Image Comics tend to cost three ninety nine, which is standard. appears to be where things are going, but some image comics still cost $2.99. So Stevenson said, overall, I think the majority of comics being published today cost too much especially if you stop to consider what we're selling. And I don't say that to denigrate the format at all. I think monthly comics can be a great way to experience comics. But I also think readers need to be given something more than a piece of a story or one link in a chain of events when they buy a comic book. And that's kind of the way things have been for for a while now. By and large, monthly comics are written with eventual collection in mind. And I think that underserves the format while also shortchanging the reader. Why buy... A book every month if you know it's going to be collected in a few months time, especially if you're going to pay four or five bucks an issue. We're forcing people to make a choice. And I think there's always going to be or they're they're always going to go for the more economical option. To put it another way, I don't think it's coincidence that sales on monthly comics drop as prices go up. I've heard comments from various people within the industry that dedicated fans will pay whatever the price is, but in addition to being a fairly privileged point of view, I think it fails to consider the fact that only selling to those dedicated fans is ultimately a losing proposition.
0: Yo, Sean, I'm not even going to have to get a chance to talk on this. He's, he's spitting my, my truth, son. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The price of comics is something that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. Um, he he goes on to elaborate about the reasons why comics are more expensive and how uh, Marvel played a big role in doubling the price of comics over six years in the late eighties, early nineties, from sixty cents to a dollar twenty. Oh, and that. Uh, they then again raise the price of comics as a way of incentivizing potential buyers of Marvel Comics. So he says that that is a a major reason why we got here so quickly to four, almost $5 per issue. And I know that for myself, (coughs) I have definitely dropped books because of the price i consider the price now when i buy books and i never did before yeah and it's a big problem like why would i want to buy a book that costs ten dollars when like incoming for example came out recently from marvel that book is ten dollars and not only is it not a complete story it's not even it's all there it's just several teasers
2: right and, and uh, I think, especially when you consider the fact that the main market that these companies are courting are 20, you know, 20 something to 30 somethings, they don't have that much expendable income. You know, like I remember when I was in college at the peak, of, when I was picking up the most monthly books I ever did at one time. Um, It it was when they were around – it was right around the time that we the switch to, I think, going to $4 was was where we were at. And, like, I was making an active decision to buy comics rather than buy better food, you know? And, like, it came a point where it was just kind of – like, I literally couldn't afford to pick up more books and I had to cut stuff, you know? And that's reality for a lot of people in their primary demographic is that, like – you only have so much money to spend on anything, let alone entertainment. And why would you buy, you know, a, a to use his words, right? Spend four or five dollars on a link of a story when you could spend a little bit more and go to like a movie and have a social experience with your friends. Or you could spend uh, a little bit more and get a video game that lasts 60 to 100 hours. You know, or if it's a, a multiplayer game, maybe forever, you know? Um so there there are all those kinds of things where like, you know, you only have so many resources as a, a young, you know, even middle class person, you know? Uh, so I, I really I think you're right, Sean, that the the argument of cost with comics doesn't come up enough because I think that a lot of people in the industry are sensitive about it because a lot of comics creators are underpaid or struggling to survive as professionals, you know? So the idea of charging less for comics seems crazy because the books are are struggling to make it as is. But I, I think there is something to be said with the idea that like, if comics were less expensive, maybe more people would buy them and there would be a larger market in general. But that's a tough argument to make when you're, Surviving on a sh- like by a hair.
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, a good example of of ways to sort of go around that or or ways to adapt to that. Um, we we've brought it up in the past, but you know we had we interviewed Tyler chintanner um and he had mentioned that you know the what they do at away Blue World is they give that first issue out for free, um, and then they they just drop the the collected books like all all the issues. They they let them out over they they let them out as a complete story, but then they also drop each individual issue over the course of a week. So that way it comes out easier. Uh, it's more cost effective on on the publisher's end for them to produce than it is to actually uh, produce single issues. And then also uh, looking at uh, TKO even recently, where the the individual floppies are more expensive if you get the box set than if you get the the graphic novel because for them, the production side is, uh, is cheaper to make those longer stories, those longer books. Uh, And if it's cheaper than that gets cheaper to produce uh, or that gets cheaper, sorry, to, to buy on, uh, on our end on on the consumer side. So it, it it makes sense all around to, to find ways to cut those costs without uh, being at the expense of those, um, without the expense of uh paying more out of pocket um and and if you guys want to listen more to that interview it was really good uh, episode 164 uh but but yeah i mean absolutely the cost the cost to me is 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 everything and if you can reduce that cost you can bring more people into the fold uh and then just ways to to change the distribution also brings people into the fold and that's what you want ultimately
2: yeah because, I mean, like, think about it, man. If you buy three single-issue comics, you have to go to a specialty store where who knows where the closest one is to you depending on where you live, and that will cost you... To get three books there will cost you the same amount as a month's worth of Netflix.
0: Yep. Shit, Which gives yeah. you
2: unlimited access to as much
1: shit as you can stomach.
0: Damn, you right.
1: Yeah, I was going to make that point as well. It's it's That is, like... Th- unbelievable um and i mean look there is comics have to cost something you know and it's difficult to compare it to tv for example because tv is based on ad revenue and then when you look at like you know netflix or something like that they're really based on You know, getting those subscriptions and reliable income over the course of a longer period of time. Um, And there are just a lot more people who are subscribing to Netflix than buy comics. So, they're making a lot more money overall. Uh, If they had less people buying Netflix, they might have to actually charge more. Because they would be making less money overall. So... It's a very difficult comparison. Like I don't know how much Marvel sells ads for. If Marvel sold ads for, you know, a, enough money, then comics could cost less, right? Um oh, but for the, clearly, the page rate?
0: Sorry? The page rate for like 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 yeah. in the actual book? Yeah. Uh uh wait, wait oh, I asked this, uh I think it's like uh two thousand five hundred or something for like a for like a full page or something like that. And and even then that, that's not a lot.
1: Right. That's that's not it's not a lot. Twenty five hundred dollars is oh uh, shoot. So if if a if an, if an artist's page rate is let's say
0: like a hundred,
1: a hundred dollars a page, which is not high. That's actually really low for for an artist who's going to be getting paid by Marvel. That is not even realistic. Yeah, that's still you know twenty two pages. That's still twenty two hundred dollars. So that one ad just about covers the page rate for a non-Marvel artist. Um, that's yeah. that's something to really think about. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, right. And I, I think the, the problem becomes, right, what you're saying, Sean, is ultimately true, is that it's not a fair comparison to compare the cost of a comic book to the cost of Netflix or a video game or whatever. But... In the eyes of a consumer, it doesn't matter, you know. Sure, um, and I, and I don't know how you fix that because I think I think it is like you have to create a model that makes the value there and makes it more immediate and more understandable to more people. Because in the example that we gave, right with the Netflix situation, that twelve bucks will get you a month's worth of Netflix, whereas like if you buy those three comics, you'll finish those in an afternoon.
1: And you still didn't get a full story,
2: right? And like that's it. Like that's and then that like if if your entertainment budget like if you're broke and your entertainment budget is like a hundred bucks a month or something like that, like how much of your budget just went to a few hours worth of entertainment that wasn't even like conclusive? And, and then what what are you doing until next time?
1: And also, even if you took. Like, Marco's Utopian scenario, which is, let's say, the way TKL's model looks like, right? You spend $20, because that's what it costs for, you know, one of their trades. You spend $20, you get a trade, which is probably going to be about five or six issues, and that's the story, which is awesome, except for the part where if you were to just get a Netflix subscription, you would save money and get way more story out of doing that. So in the best possible scenario, you still are not getting the bang for your buck by buying comics. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to a larger issue. And I want to talk about that, but I actually want to shift over back to Eric Stevenson because of how this dovetails into, uh, into the the piracy conversation. Okay. And he had something... <clears throat> he had something to say about that as well. Uh, if I can just find the quote here. So he was asked about piracy. And they were talking... Piracy within the context of digital comics. So uh, the logic from every other industry was that if you had accessible music or accessible movies that were downloadable and didn't require you to leave your home that people would be inclined to pay for it instead of steal it because most people are moral people who will not steal if they can avoid doing that and so uh within that context uh eric Stevenson said the following i'll say it again comics are too expensive print comic print comics are too expensive, and digital comics are too expensive. <laughs> Looking at what the people who admit to stealing comics content are saying online, it seems pretty obvious that there are more comics coming out than the average person can afford to buy. Are there some people out there who just hoard digital comics, downloading full runs of things just for the satisfaction of having them? Sure, but there are also people who just want to read the comics they like without going broke. Comics used to be cheap entertainment. That's no longer the case. I've literally talked to people who say they've always been interested in reading comics but they're too expensive with digital comics priced the same as print comics it just becomes part of the same overall problem now i love that point because this is something that i was talking about in the in the episode we did about piracy where it's like this is not any longer a morality issue it's not you can you can talk about like that it's bad to steal But there's no one on earth who doesn't know that. So people still do it, right? So why do they do it? This is why. Because if you don't have money, but you still want to be entertained, you can't. If you have, let's say you have a budget for, for entertainment, like Pete said, and that budget is tapped by Netflix and like, you know, the five comics you can afford to buy for the month but you really love 10 or 15 ongoing titles, how are you going to read those extra 5 or 10 ongoing titles that you can't afford to buy? You're going to steal them. It's easy to do. It really, really is. And it's like, in the grand scheme of things, you probably don't see it as that big of a deal. You're going you're gonna to rationalize it to the point where it's nothing for you to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the most common argument that I hear from people who pirate stuff like that is like, um, well, I wasn't going to buy it anyway, right? Like I if I can't afford it or if I wasn't interested in it or whatever, like, but I read it, like I'm not hurting them because there was no universe where I was going to buy it. So the only difference is
1: that I read it. That's a, and, it's, and that's a fact. It's not like you can, you don't have to like it. You can hate that person, but that is a factual statement that that person probably wasn't going to buy it anyway. So that sale is not a lost sale. And it's not taking it's not like going to the store and stealing a CD. It's not taking actual product out of the marketplace, removing it from the for for, for someone else who might have bought it.
2: Yeah, right. And that's not to moralize that position or whatever. It's just the reality of the situation. And like I think with that in mind, you have to look at you you ha- and and again, like I know it's not a one-to-one comparison, but you have to look at how it works in other markets and why piracy of those things has gone down, you know? Um who pirates music anymore in 2020? No idea. Right, like Spotify. Spotify is insanely cheap.
1: Mm -hmm. Spotify is free for a lot of people. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, right. It
2: is free. It is free. If you want to deal with ads, and if you want to pay for premium, it's like it's it costs like ten fucking dollars to have unlimited access to all the music ever, pretty much. Like that's pretty good, you know. Um, Or again, Netflix. Right, like I'll I'll admit when I was a teenager, like I used to torrent movies and TV shows all the time because I didn't have $70 to spend on, you know, a box set of, you know, scrubs or whatever the hell me and my friends wanted to watch. And, you know, like, there wasn't Netflix or Hulu or whatever. So, yeah, like, I pirated that stuff because I wanted to watch it and it was easy. And, you know, and I didn't have the money. But as soon as Netflix and Hulu and all those other things entered the stage, like... I, you know, like, granted, now I also have enough money to, like, just get whatever I want. So Point it's not being, though. Point being, even when I was broke, right? I was like, well, I, I have $10 a month. I have $8 at what it was when I first got it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
2: And it became easier to do the right thing than to go through the hassle of breaking the law which like nobody wants to do you're doing it because it's easier or better for you than nothing you know or not having or you know whatever
0: yeah 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 Go and, ahead, and, Mark. and 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 addressing the digital space like it, it there's also like I, the common complaint i i hear is like i like to like feel the physical like the physicality of it but nobody nobody says that anymore for i would say like Movies like You don't need the DVD anymore. You don't need the CD anymore. And I think there's a large portion of people who f- still fight back within the industry because it is so niche and they've always collected comics in a certain way that that has to continue forward for them. And, nah. and, and but well, well I, I'm just saying in terms of like, cause like I, I, I've been reading most of my, a lot of my comics digitally now because of, of the ease of access and, and typically on sales um because the the price point is is definitely the the biggest factor it's like I'm paying for the same thing I would be for a floppy if, if I am then I'd rather get the physical book but if you're not providing me the ease of access then there's then it, it just it just doesn't make sense and addressing that is, is obviously like the, the the biggest thing but there there are people who have always read and collected comics in a certain way that, try to continue to keep the market and, and sort of consume that same the, the market in the same way. But Marco,
1: you cannot compare the feeling of holding a comic or a regular book in your hand to holding a DVD. They're not the same. There's no yeah. well, there's well, no then, beneficial experience.
0: True. But then you can say like that about like a, like a record. Like the the analog sound is is definitely different than a digital sound. It's percep- it's perceivable. Yeah, and 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 to that, there are people who, you know, still purchase it that way. But the the idea of mostly consuming it digitally isn't as pervasive. And and to me, it's because the, it's it's a much more niche audience. It's not as mass market as any and any other medium. And the largest the largest buyers and are, are people who have been buying and continue to buy in that same format.
1: Yeah, but it but you you're saying that coming at it from a perspective that you already have. So it's just so like everything you're saying just justifies your point, but that could easily be looked at another way. Like you can't just say that the only reason is because people have been reading comics forever and that's just how they want to read comics that ignores the reality that there are people who've probably never read a comic before who would also like to read it physically because there is tangible value to reading comics phys- physically that doesn't exist in other places. There's no difference between owning, uh, especially not, not the way that things evolve, but like owning a physical CD or a physical DVD versus a, a, a physical comic and, and a, or versus a, a, a downloading the album digitally. There's no difference. It's the same thing. But it's not the same when you have a physical comic and when you have a digital one. It's just not. There are people who won't read or who won't listen to audiobooks but will read books because it's not the same. Like, I, I, I hate audiobooks. I don't retain the information the same way. It's not the same feeling. I want to read it in my own voice. I want to create the voices for the characters. There's so many differences that you just you just cannot compare those. And I don't think it's fair to say that it's just because that's how people have been doing it.
0: Well, and and, and I, I didn't say it was just. I said that the 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 price is definitely the biggest point for me, and that's like that that was, that was a preface. But that there are those the segment of people who who could do that. And to your point, that uh, absolutely there, there are people who just prefer that. But I mean, for for that, it's just I guess either the weighting of a change in attitude around reading digital comics, which needs to be addressed first at the price.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And Eric Stevenson does uh, talk a lot about digital comics. And he says that, uh, I mean, we just we just talked about it, that the price of digital comics is the same as physical. And to me personally, that just seems stupid. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to use this phrase, but it's the only phrase that I can think of that makes sense. It seems greedy. I don't understand why Marvel and DC... Are charging the same price $5 $4 for a book when you don't have to pay the cost of printing the book so I think I
2: think the logic there is something that you can borrow from you see the same that same price disparity issue uh, with video games and what you can make the same argument right of why am I paying $60 for a brand new game that I'm downloading as I am for a physical copy because the physical copy provides a lot more value in the same way that a physical comic book provides more value um, because it's a tangible item that you could sell or resell or whatever whereas files are just files. It's a copy of a copy. Um,
0: well, to, but to Sean's point, you, you, you experience the product the same way but the physicality of it doesn't inherently change your experience but, of it.
2: No, but my point is for why there's that not a price disparity between the two when there probably should be is because of the example that we we talked about earlier it's brick and mortar stores it's that comic book publishers like marvel and dc depend on the direct market of comic book stores to a pretty heavy degree to sell one of their main products which is monthly printed comic books and if all of a sudden they say hey you can go buy all every issue of our book day and date digitally on Comixology and pay a, and get it on Amazon effectively for a buck or for half price. Like that is a big middle finger to every one of those small businesses that we just called out that are essentially the backbone of your of your business model.
1: That's and, absolutely true.
2: And it's the exact same, and that's why I brought up the video game example. Is The reason that video game publishers do the same song and dance is because they need the GameStops, the Targets, the Walmarts of the world to sell you the box. And if you don't buy the box from them at the Target, the wherever, then they lose out on software sales and it's the same deal here where the gamble that they take by making digital comics affordable is does that piss off your retail partners do they order less of your books to fuck you over or whatever or to cut costs because people are buying less like it it that for that to work you have to fundamentally shift the way that comic books are sold and whether that's not depending on the singles market or making it so that places like a Barnes and Noble or a target or a Walmart carry single issues. I don't know, but it's one of those things because that's the problem with price disparity between digital copy and physical copy. I think it's clear to anybody paying for a physical copy has more value at the end of the day, but we can't change the difference between the two because we are still shackled in a lot of industries to brick and mortar stores.
1: Sure. So what speaking of brick and mortar stores, one of the issues that they face and one of the issues that the comic book stores or the comic book industry at large faces is that there are frankly too many books. And this is something that uh, eric stevenson also talked about and this is a point that i i really want to chew on uh you know we don't have a ton of time left but i just think this is so worth talking about comic book stores can't keep up with ordering them there's just too much to keep track of and if a specialty market catering to this specific type of content is overwhelmed by the amount of books being published that's definitely going to be an issue for other sales channels worse it's going to trickle down to readers because at 4 and $5 an issue, that limits the number of comics someone can reasonably afford within a single month or every month. According to Diamond, there were 5,395 comic books released in 2019. He goes on to say, every publisher, and I want to be clear that I absolutely include image in this, could do a better job of curating their content instead of constantly flooding the market with books that may not have an actual audience. Over the course of 2019, we've launched fewer books, like a third less. We're planning to continue that going into the next year because we saw positive results from fitting the line over the course of the year. So that... I think, is a is another problem that people refuse to talk about. Everyone wants an opportunity to have their book on the market. Not every book will succeed, but because the people who make the books are very much people we can know, right? Like, if, you know, like, we all have an opinion specifically about a Brian Michael Bendis or you know uh, a grant morrison or a matthew rosenberg or whoever it is that creator is someone you want to see succeed because you know them right and it's very small teams and yada 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 you don't care you probably don't even know who directed venom you probably don't even like there's so many instances you probably can't tell me who wrote avengers endgame you don't care it's not the same comics are very small and as an industry, so you know the creators, everyone wants to see creators do well. What does Cale say every time we talk about these things? He said, every creator has deserves the right to have the chance to be paid for their work. Well, no, they don't. Because at the end of the day, the market decides what, will, what deserves to make money and doesn't. And frankly, there are too many books and the industry cannot sustain them. Eric Stevenson is saying that there's too much co- uh, competition for your eyes and your dollar. And books will be pushed out. And who does that hurt worst? It's not Marvel, it's not DC, and it's not Image. It's the smaller publishers that have to try to compete for your $4. And if you're not already inclined to buy those books, what are you going to buy? X Men? or whatever by whoever right yeah
2: yeah those people are left fighting for scraps
1: exactly and so across the board the question has to be asked is this is this Batgirl run and I you know I nothing against Batgirl we keep going back I keep going back to that example but like is this Batgirl run by whoever that's not that compelling unfortunately worth publishing where we could not publish it and put more effort into other titles that are more compelling that aren't just, you know, running on the hamster wheel, you know? Or maybe get those creators on a book that makes more sense for them. Or 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 if they have an interesting idea, just say, "Hey, okay, instead of doing this over 20 issues, do it over 6 and we'll make it an OGM."
0: Yeah, and I, and I will say that to to that that example is I think restricted to the the direct market, because uh, I do read, you know, like like webtoons and, and books on tapas and stuff, and they have their own monetization. Uh, and they there there are writers and, and artists out there who who do make money in, in other ways within the same sort of medium. Um, it's just a call out there. Sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and I I think that's that's what it kind of comes down to is that like the market is evolving and changing and. I don't think it's the bubble hasn't burst yet. But it's going to at some point, you know, unless these these publishers change the way that they market their product to consumers, you know, because I don't think that I don't think that their efforts over the last several years to expand the market as it exists have been as fruitful as they need to be. Um yeah. so it's it's going to be a matter of meeting people where they are and you know, that'll happen one way or the other. Because I think it's clear that there's an interest in comics. You know, people like comics. And maybe not as many people as want to watch TV or play games or watch movies or whatever. But it doesn't need to be as big.
1: Totally. The the market does not have to be as big to sustain itself. It just has to be smarter. And I think that, you know, Marvel, they're the kings of overproducing. Um they they produce so many books a month. It's just nuts compared to the rest of the industry. Like, do you need to have the third Black Panther title?
2: Do we need 50 books on the shelf from you?
1: Yeah. Um,
2: like, no, we don't.
0: I need yeah. Batman, Detective Comics, Detective Comics Batman, Batman and Bat <laughs> Batman, Friends, Batman. Batman,
1: Batman,
0: <laughs> Batman Batman, Zen or R.
1: Zen or R? Is that not his thing? That's Z and R. Oh,
0: I was close. I was close. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And I think that's I think that's a big part of the equation. You know, is that not everything? Not everything needs to. Not not all books are created equal. You know, like, and that's the reality is like in a niche market, only so many things can survive. Um, but I think there is also an argument to be made that you know, um, adopting a different monetary model like Marco is calling out is a way to make other things like that more financially viable, you know? Like maybe finding a way to make a streaming model work like could make some of those other projects make more sense. Or, you know, again, there is also like a, a very real like political component in that, you know, like in general, like people's, you know, income, is not going up, and like that's a problem too, is that people have less and less money to spend on the on recreation at all, but that's you know? not
1: that's not in the scope of solving the problem.
2: it's true. I'm just saying I think that there there are environmental factors at play too that like are forcing the industry's hand, you know where like what what might be a viable model in a healthier economy like right now is not, and you know. It's evolve or die. I,
1: I mean, the industry did respond, and they responded by charging four dollars instead of three, you know. And Marvel has responded by charging five dollars instead of four. <laughs>
3: right. So
1: they're not—they're actively choosing to not address that. And again, it's like. Marvel and DC are not immune to the problem, but they're also not feeling it the same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When yeah. I'm talking so about they're
2: squeezing the market more because they can,
1: right? Yeah. When I'm talking about, you know, wh- how what books really need to be on the market? Yes, I think Marvel and DC have to address that. I think Image has to address that. But like, uh random books by random people—they're <laughs> harder to look at after i after my pull list of image marvel and dc is over with and boom i'm not i don't have a ton left to pick up books by people i don't know who i can't rely on to deliver me a story that i'm into
0: bam i'm the exact opposite i'll uh, pick up those books i don't I, I don't know who you are but i'll ch- check you out and then the the dc image and and, and marvel stuff
1: yeah, yeah, and and that's cool, and I, I'm glad that there are people like that who read comics, but I think we we both know that that's not the norm.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I think, uh, not, and not to, like, um, to use this pejoratively or anything, I think, like, people consuming art that way, like, that's a privileged position. You know, you do that because you can. Like, if you only have so much money to spend on, on entertainment, like to Sean's point, are you going to gamble it on something that you don't know if it's going to resonate with you and you have no basis for if it's any good? Or are you going to go with something that you're pretty sure you'll like?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. And depending on the medium, but for comics, I, I I strictly relegate it to, to those kind of things.
2: And that's good. You know, like the industry needs people like that. Um, but I, I also don't begrudge people who. Yeah, absolutely. Don't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? So, to close this out, because I feel like there's so much we could say, I, I I really wanted to dissect what he had to say even more. But, you know, this is just such a monster of a of a conversation. And again, I encourage you to look at it because he is really smart and he really understands the industry to close this out. um, I wanted to talk about what image, how image can be a leader of the industry going forward into the 20s. What does their role need to be uh, moving forward? And asking, you know, a question I think is, is worth asking. Does Image still have that position or did they kind of create the environment that makes them a little bit obsolete? Because over the last few years, I would say that Image has not been as essential as they were. Um in the, t- in the early 10s, Image was the only place you could really go as an alternative. At the end of the 10s, there are plenty of places. A book like Sentient by TKO yeah. would have been an Image book in 2012. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's not. And so they are losing out on these opportunities to have these big books by these big creators who feel like they can go elsewhere because of what Image created. So, with that basis, with that framework, what do you guys think?
0: I think they have to. Hmm, I think they have to address those those optimizations in sales first. Because if, if they can if they can become more profitable, they can they they have the advantage of being bigger than everybody else within that smaller market anyway right like like they're they're bigger than the next three or four biggest uh, companies being IDW, Dark Horse, uh, Boom, etc. they they have they have that advantage in the space and being able to find ways to maximize that currently is where they need to be so that way they can they have the the ability to Change up the distribution model. Um, you know, uh, he, he mentioned switching over to uh, OGNs versus floppies. Like that is that is something that benefits Image because of their format and because of the the way that people sort of trust that publisher and 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 react to that publisher. So I think in in yeah. in, in twenty twenty they need to be able to to step up in the way that they. Address the direct market, because um, I think there are opportunities, and there are other publishers who are trying to do different things that they have the the volume and that they have the the position to to potentially take advantage of. Um, yeah, and, and and if they can do that, then I think that trickles out into other places, and it trickles down, um, and and hopefully for the for the betterment of of that of the medium.
2: Trickle down comics don't work, Marco. They don't, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I I totally agree with what you're putting out there, Marco. I think that uh, I think the point you're making, Sean, is a salient one. I think images' status in the market is not um, what it was at their peak, and not what I expected it to be at in 2020 post that peak. But I think it's because they established a new status quo for for indies and established this market. Um, And this model. And I think the conversation that we're having now and the conversations that they're clearly having behind the scenes based on what Eric is saying here um, is a sign that they are still relevant. Because they are the leader in that space. And all those, those companies that have come after them are successful because of what Image did. And I think in the same way that Image saw the tea leaves then on how there was a, a need and a desire in the market for the kind of books that they became famous for, I think they now see that there's a need and a desire in the market for different ways to consume those titles and different audiences yep. to yep. consume those titles. And I think in the same way that we saw them come up in 2014, I think that we will see them come up again in the 2020s because to Marco's point, I think that they are still the the most forward-thinking indie, quote-unquote indie company and they have the most resources. So they are the most poised to follow up on this shit and success and and find success, you know, because they have the talent and the resources and the brand recognition. And they have wins under their belt that these competitors do not have, you know, um, as much as we can compare these other publishers and you're right that they probably took some titles and talent and, and maybe attention away from Image, none of them have... Uh, uh an invincible or uh, a walking dead or you know uh, uh a savage dragon or other books like that that have those massive baked in audiences that have went for really long runs that have cultural recognition the way that something like walking dead does or spawn or whatever like image has a base to build that future publishing model off of that these new companies are still just starting you know? And that's no shade of them. Like I think they're a lot of them are doing great work and a lot of them fit a, a valuable niche in this industry. But I think that there's not one of them that doesn't look at image as the the goal on the hill, and image still has a long way to go. But I think a future where image controls a bigger portion of the market um isn't still isn't impossible or even unlikely. But I think they need to continue to evolve and to be asking the kind of questions that they're asking right now of well what's next
0: yeah uh sean sorry uh before you go into it i'm just gonna bow out okay um uh listeners mr marco adamoto i love you all please give me those anime recommendations on the discord and uh i'll catch you boys later
2: Later, all right take care marco he's like i don't want to hear what you have to (laughs) i don't want i don't want to hear your response i gotta go
1: Uh, I think that Image is in an interesting position. Eric Stevenson talks a lot about what he feels like Image needs to do and what makes Image different and and things like that. And I think that some of the things that make Image different actually hurt Image. Uh, One of the things that he calls out is how if you publish your book through Image, they make a certain amount off of it. You make whatever you make off of it. You make the majority share and the rights are retained by you. Well, in 2020, the most value that a comic book has, unfortunately, is actually as a movie or a television show. An image does not make any money off of that fact. So although The Walking Dead is this massive hit as a television show... And it is a success for sure as a comic book. Uh, it's un- it's not equivalent how big of a success it is as a TV show versus a comic. And Image is only making that comic book money. Yeah, So you're not wrong there. I think it would behoove Image, although I could understand why they wouldn't want to do this. If they wanted to uh, improve their position, I feel like they need to to put a hand in the pot. Of making money off of these books that they are publishing. Uh, It hurts them that image is not direct. That people don't associate directly The Walking Dead with image. Uh, It hurts them really badly. Uh, If you can't... You don't know. Most people don't know Spider-Man as not a Marvel character. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good point. Not anymore. Maybe that was true like in the earlier decades but now if you know Spider-Man you know him from Marvel. Um Image does not have that luxury and that's costing them dollars. So I think that that's something they need to think about. I think Image is the publisher that has the strongest opportunity to appeal to people who don't read comics. Monstrous has been a big success with people with people who don't read comics. The Walking Dead obviously Um, non-traditional readers and Image does that really well Saga is probably the best example Saga is a tremendous example Uh, getting those things on the minds of people who don't read comics is extremely important how do you do that well I think it would behoove Image to start trying to put ads out in books or in bookstores or, you know, on television. Different places where people could f- see these books. I think it probably doesn't benefit Marvel or DC as much. They have built-in advertising with their films and things like that. Um, you know that Marvel makes comics. Whether you want to buy them or not is really up to you. And it's more about knowing where to go, what to buy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Rather than knowing that they exist. Image has an image problem. Um, and I think that for them, it would benefit them a lot to try to put their put themselves wherever they possibly can. So ads, in my mind, make a lot of sense for them. Wherever they can. If they could buy ad space in front of a Marvel movie. Like, every time you go to the movies, before the trailers start, they have these like ads for all kinds of things. If an, if an ad for Saga came up, that might be great for them. Yeah, so all those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. And then uh, finally, I think figuring out spaces where it makes sense to have books as original graphic novels uh, is is a good thing. I don't feel like they should move away even like more than a little bit from monthlies because... I think that works, and I probably always think that. But uh, Eric Stevenson talks about Motor and he talks about uh, Motor Girl, or I'm uh, not Motor Girl. I'm sorry, um, Motor Motor Crush, Motor Crush, okay, as thank you. two books that transitioned from weekly to uh, to OGNs because of the way that the sales were working for those books. It just didn't make sense. And I think identifying situations where that might be the case before you start publishing would be a good idea. And uh, I will say that it, it's a lot more attractive to do that if you have superstars on the book. So the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips model of every now and then publishing an OGM would be really cool if you applied that same logic to a Robert Kirkman.
2: Yeah. Uh, Somebody with name recognition like that is going to have a way easier time selling a book in that model.
1: And it's also a lot easier to take that book and put it in places where people can see it who don't read comics. You can't really do that with issue 15 of of, uh, Oblivion Song, but you could do it. If Oblivion Song was an OGN, and you could slap a sticker on there that says "by the creator of The Walking Dead," right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, those are my big takeaways for Image. I feel that they won't move forward in the industry and take a bigger piece of the pie if they don't do some of those things. Um, because, like I said, they're not the hub or home of non superhero comics anymore and they're also not necessarily innovating in that space the way they they felt like they were before when they had the hot hand it's good to see them asking these questions i'm sure they are i have no doubt that they're thinking about all those things that's gonna do it for our conversation about image uh hopefully they you know do apply some of this logic that that the three of us laid out and hopefully you guys at home enjoyed our conversation about all of this. Uh, let us know your thoughts by hitting us up all over the place. Uh, join our Discord. Join our Discord. Come be a part of the conversation post-episode. You guys can, you know, start talking about your thoughts about Image, uh, what you think their place is going to be in the 20s, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can also get us uh, on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at TheComicsPals at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, subscribe to our channel. Those things are all free to do and they help us out a ton more than they cost you. Hit the notification bell so that you know when our stuff drops. Uh join our Discord. Uh we're gonna have giveaways and things like that. So just join our Discord. Um listen to our Alan or Alan Moore, Al Ewing I have Watchmen <laughs> on the brain. Uh, listen to our Al Ua interview. It was really something special, I feel, and uh, it's worth your time. And then if you also have Watchmen on the brain, go check out our Watchmen retrospective. We talked about... Uh, it, it'll be out in a few days, but we talked about Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen and Doomsday Clock and how those two alternative futures from the original Watchmen pair up against the original and which one is superior? So, we go into a lot of that kind of stuff. it's It should be out Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, give that a shot as well. Uh, Pete, plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals.
2: If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can go find some of my work over on lootpots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Podcast, as well as the Patreon exclusive show After Dark. Um, we got a Discord too. Uh yeah, go go connect with me if you like Nintendo stuff. Um, or come chat with me about uh, what books you're excited about in 2020. What should I be checking out? What what image books should I be checking out right now?
1: You know, give me something new. Uh, the other guys have their own Twitters and blah blah blah. Go get them somewhere. Uh, buy Kill's <laughs> books. Killwar Uh, Cyborg Bebop for some. Don't reason. follow Phil. <laughs> Don't follow him. Uh, as for me, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about um, Jean Grey and Watchmen. I'm still down to talk about Watchmen. I'll always be down to talk about Watchmen. With that, we've been Comics Piles signing off. Take care, guys. See you next time.